Thanks you, Super Train, episode 136. I'm your host, your main host, Dan. Uh, this is a short-lived TV show podcast. Cover short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. We go three shows at a time, one episode at a time. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. And uh, what do we got going on this episode? Well, we got, uh, of course, uh, Chris and Hawes is back. We're talking Tales of the Gold Monkey. And I believe it's episode 14. I believe. And then Kiki Wrights and myself are talking about episode eight. Oh gosh, of of Middleman. We're almost getting near the end of Middleman. Well, we don't have a lot left in Middleman. And then the great Christopher Bly and myself are discussing the final episode, episode twenty one of Battlestar Galactica. So the um order will be switched up a bit here. We're gonna do I think we're gonna start with Gold Monkey, then we're gonna do Middleman, then Galactica. The Galactica's a little longer than usual. We've been going like thirty to 40-ish minutes, like 35 minutes or so. This one's more around 50 because it's the end of the series and we, we just talk a little long. And I'll say it here so in case I forget to say it um, before uh, the Battlestar Galactica chat begins, you remember how crap the sound's been on the last two. Well, this one, the sound's a little better... It's it's but the the sound the sound on the last one I was constantly my 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 voice was too I sound like this the whole time how you doing Th- this time it's a little calmer in spots but it also does that occasionally I don't know what the heck was going on it it almost feels like um what what because because if you listen to it you you'll hear Chris will talk for a couple minutes and then I'll start to talk and when I start to talk I'll be really loud. And then gradually, the more I talk, the more I get to a regular level. So it's almost like like the call recorder or something like forgets what my level was if I haven't talked for a few minutes. And also puts me up high and then brings me down again. I did my best to work around a lot of those moments, but I didn't get around all of them. I apologize. And we did have a couple of little hiccups in the sound too. So um, it's a good chat. So I'm not uh, I'm. I'm, I'm not. I'm not denigrating the quality of the chat because I think it's a very good chat. There are some sound issues. My apologies. But we're gonna start off with a little bit of tales of the gold monkey. Let me play a little uh, music for you here, and uh, Kristen and I are on the other side. Enjoy. <laughs> Episode 14 of Tales of the Golden Monkey, High Stakes Lady, directed by James Frawley, story by Lance Madrid III and Bill Driscoll, teleplay by Bill Driscoll. January 26th, 1983, uh, this one involves a lot of card playing, a lot of spies, uh, the princess is in it, and uh, Jake falls in love with a um, sort of card-sharking uh, lovely lady, and some romance ensues. And lots of spy stuff ensues, and we'll talk. We'll talk all over it. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes on in this one. So let me give you a blast. We're on the other side. High stakes lady, she's on tales of the gold monkey. High stakes lady, like I'm gonna think of something that rhymes with monkey that quickly. Come on, I didn't write that. This is high stakes lady, everybody. It's um. Oh, gosh, I didn't write down what episode this is. Where are we? 13, 14, something like that. Um, this is High Stakes Lady, and oddly enough, it is about a lady playing poker, but she also orders a steak in the episode. So there's kind of a dual thing to it, which is really interesting. Um, and here to speak about steaks is my favorite High Stakes Lady, Kristen Hawes. Kristen, how are you? 
I'm great. The stakes are pretty high. How are you, Dan? I'm a high stakes lady. I'm trying to think of monkey. What rhymes with monkey? Donkey. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't think. Florida Keys. We're going to Florida Keys. Um, but uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm ready to. Um, I'm ready to join the poker people, which is the title I actually wrote down for this, and I was going to say until you reminded me that it wasn't called Poker People. <laughs> It's called High Stakes Lady. Although High Stakes Woman sounds more like a great uh, sort of 70s soft rock, almost disco song that we never we never heard. Um, high Stakes Woman. Yeah. Mm. Um, so uh, what? <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of High Stakes Ladies, Kristen, what did you think of this episode? I like this episode. Mm-hmm. And I like this episode for two reasons. One, I tend to like things for the wrong reasons anyway. And two, I like it because I just, I don't think too much about it. And I just Mm -hmm. enjoy the shenanigans because the spy stuff that comes in towards the last half, third, whatever, the episode is is a little bit convoluted. And if you start trying to think about it too hard, it hurts. (laughs) So I just, I just kind of sit back and enjoy the shenanigans. Corky gets to wear a white suit that is literally white for maybe 30 seconds, but he looks very nice in it. And um, Princess Koji shows up, and she's always lovely, and I I adore her. So, yeah, I, I like this episode just because, you know, I just let it happen. I don't try to think yes. too much about it. Yeah. What, what do you think about it? I had the first time I watched it, I had the same feeling. I got to the end. I thought, oh, that was fun. But then the second time when I thought, okay, let me just watch it a little closer, I, um, I thought, hmm, there are a few flaws in the episode. <laughs> and and, I, and I, will, I will say the, the, one, the one thing about it, about, about it is Jake's I, I don't know if like if if it's just like Jake's constant insistent insistence throughout in his narration that this is the most beautiful and wonderful woman I've ever met <laughs> and we're so deeply loved and it's funny because I never bought it because I the whole time I was thinking she's either going to die or turn out to be a bad guy and there's there's no way in heck that she's gonna, like suddenly they're adding this other main character you know, so so it, it's it's true. You have to because I mean, it's got a lot. It's got it's got explosions and it's got people getting um, uh, on desert islands. It's got uh, poker games. It's got spy stuff. It's got yeah, Princess Koji. It's got it's got sort of everything. Uh, you can, it has a scene where, yeah, where Corky thinks um, Jake is dead and um, is sort of demanding that a crowd toast Jake, and they don't know what the heck he's talking about. It's kind of one of those episodes that sort of has everything in some in some respects, um, but, but it's kind of based on um, a thing that I, in my second view, I didn't quite buy, but um, but it's not. Um, it's definitely not unentertaining. It's definitely entertaining. Um, your, your mileage may vary on how much you like it. Um, I, uh, I mean, it's great to see Charles Napier is in it. The great Charles Napier is in it, playing a Texas, um, uh, just a Texas, you know, sort of big Texan playing cards, and um, and the, I mean, I guess the, you know, the the. I, I, I guess one, one of the things that kind of bothered me about it was just the way, um, uh, like like when it starts up and they're all playing cards and the new the new lady what's what's her name I don't know did I write her name down? Uh, um, Sabrina. Sabrina. I did write her name down. Yeah, Sabrina. And they're playing. They're all playing cards together. And Sarah's there. And um, I I thought, why are you doing Sarah like that, Jake? That's not nice. I don't think that's nice. 
do, do we think that's nice? I don't know. But he, he just, he falls in, I, I guess that's why she's a really good spy, huh? Like a Matahari kind of thing. But, I, it's, yeah, it's, like you, I, th- I think it's an episode where you just go in and you just let it roll over you. And it's, and it's got a little bit of everything. It's got that crazy samurai guy constantly threatening Corky and stuff. And it's it's got a lot of... It's got a great use of that thing where you put the chair under a doorknob. Um, and the, the, the suspense is how quick is he going to get through, you know. And um, there's a lot of stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, let me see. I'm going to... Oh, um, and Sarah sings Am I Blue, which, of course, is always fun. And um, I, I just why did I write poker people? That was the name of this. I don't know. What 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 else? Yeah. What what are some other thoughts? What 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 did you think of um, Jake's romance with Sabrina? Did you buy it, or did you just did you did it bother you? Or he yeah he is so in love. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what head are you thinking with Jake? Yes, because yes, exactly. no, you're not. I mean, and the best part was this: like, yeah, you're trash for the way you're treating Sarah. Trash. Mm, yeah. Put yourself in the bin. You're trash. Yeah. And especially at the end when they, you know, make up and he does that by buying her lunch. And I'm just like, really? First of all, Sarah, keep walking. Yes. Don't even, don't even talk to him. Doesn't she, doesn't she really, doesn't she keep walking at the beginning of the scene? Isn't that when she's going to go in and he's there? Yeah, she, she starts to walk away and then stops and comes Mm -hmm. back and it's just like, "Eh, why? Is it because you guys live in a small island and you're at least going to have to make nice or, you know, because yeah. don't give him, don't give him mileage for what he did <laughs> yes. because he was so in love with this woman and after he's, you know, kept you on a yo-yo string. So, mm-hmm. no, uh, he's trash. And, and, and it didn't feel very authentic. It felt like yeah. lust. And if they it made felt... it be lust, I would have been fine with it. But to try to say that they found one true love in the span of 30 seconds. Yes. And, and like I said, yeah. a large portion of it is the narration. So I wonder if, like, if, is that is that like Jake's mind sort of gaslighting him or something like that? You know, where his yeah, mind he's is trying saying, to talk himself into like it. This, you know, it's like like if you go and you buy, you know, and you you spend too much money on a meal and you're eating the meal and you don't like it, and you said this is really good, and some part of you is saying no, it isn't. But you just, you just say it, or you, or you know, you buy, you spend too much money on a on a Blu-ray or a book or something, and you read it, and go, this is great. But a part of you is going, no, no, it isn't. And I, because I, I think I agree with you. If if he had been like, she was the most beautiful woman I ever knew, and all I could think was, what does she look like naked? If it had been something like that, I would have been all right. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's it's uh, why not. You know, you, you know, it's the native girls are all running around, you know, in little things anyways half the time. So Sarah's the only woman on the island who dresses, I was going to say like a nun, but I that I felt like that might portend the the next episode. Um, but the, yeah, it's it, and, and you're right too, there, there is something about the deeper you get into it and the more you learn about what's going on, the more it sort of becomes one of those things where um, it, I, I don't want to say it's, that it, uh, well, I guess it does become pretty sort of MacGuffin-y. Like at the end when she gets the film or whatever that is, you're like, yeah. I, I didn't care if we saw the film. I don't. I, I, I at moments I forgot what it was that they were after. You know, I thought yeah. there was a film, and at one moment I thought, oh, they're looking for a necklace, and I thought, why did I think they were looking for a necklace? <laughs> You know, so, so 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 it really is like one of those episodes where, um, and I ain't saying this is North by Northwest, but this this is an episode we we you know just just sit there, watch it, and enjoy it, and um, um, uh, try to, try, I don't know, I don't know. There's there's a lot of great 
actors in it, though, did a lot of fun stuff. And it's great to see the princess sort of leading the poker game. I really like that. I like that she's like, she's like, she's like all around. She does everything, which yeah. I kind of, and she has a samurai constantly standing next to her. That's, oh yes, our beloved that, Toto. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. <laughs> While Jake has Corky next to him, yes. stuffing his face with those little triangular sandwiches. Oh yeah, because he, he stole like a bunch of them off the tray. He grabbed the like eight time, of them. Yeah. So he, she grabs all these. And he's like putting them in his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jack is sitting next to Jake and looking at his hand. And Tex, I think, said something about just in that dog read cards, and and Jack says yes, mm-hmm. yeah. and he's like, oh no, no, of course not. Why don't you guys, you know, go on? It's it's it is still interesting because they're because I, I I have said that sometimes I have trouble remembering the one. I just got it wrong. Two for yes, one for no. I still, I mean, fourteen, fifteen episodes. I still get that, and I, I think they're, they still. I, I like that they still kind of play with that sometimes, because there are moments where he, he does that, and I think um, I'm not meant to feel like an idiot. I think I'm meant to feel for a moment like, oh, is that a yes or a no? And then. Well, and we do know Jack can lie because he's yes, lied to Willie. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's see. Um, what else? Yeah, I do like, like, like you said, when they arrive at the casino and they're all dressed up, they look good. And Corky does look good in his, his suit. He's got this little ink spot, some kind of spot there. Yeah. Which, which I thought. And they, they, they get it off of him. Mm. And just in time for the princess and Toto to come over. And the princess is, I think the princess is secretly quite fond of Corky because how can you not be? It's like Uh, having a puppy. Yeah, exactly. And she starts to say, she's like, Corky, you look positively, and Toto finishes with clean. (laughs) And he does. That's probably the cleanest he's ever looked in this series. Mm -hmm. And then two seconds later, Tex comes up and ashes on his suit, so he has... It's over. Ash all over his suit. It was like, well, that was a really nice three-minute run for you, Corky. <laughs> yes, you made it all the way from the plane into the building. Congratulations. Yeah. And I, I, I'm dying to know, like, was that his suit? It seemed a little tight, but... but, um, but No, because that... he said that somebody got it for him. Okay, that's right. Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to see everyone, you know, everyone, uh, everyone dressed up. I mean... Um, Although um, uh, Jake did do dressing up right in the last episode when they were on the ship, so he got some good dressing yes. up. Whereas Corky got even dirtier, <laughs> if it's yeah. po- if that's possible. Um, so, um, uh, what else on this one? I, th- I think I think treat it like, like you said, treat treat it like um, like a, a bit of a fun roller coaster. Stuff yeah. stuff happens. A boat explodes. I. You know, at, at first I didn't quite know why, and I thought, I don't care. You know, you yeah, find no. out later why. And um, Well, it's it's it gets taken out by a submarine, and you're yes. like, where did that submarine come from? Exactly. You know what? That's none of my business. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Stuff like this happens around here all the time. You know? You know, this is a... Uh, I'm sure there's a place you could live where everything was safe all the time. This ain't one of those places. We, we know that from the 13 episodes. I mean, we've never had an episode where they just hang around in the bar all day. There's and always... even that's dangerous considering the fights that break out. Yeah, true, true. Someone's always punching someone else. Um, uh, I, I do, um, the, uh, I, I do, I, I mentioned the scene where Corky, um, uh, is in the bar 
um, uh, saddened over he, he thinks Jake's lost. But that 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 moment when when um, Corky and Tex and Jack are in the in the, in the goose, and they see the they see the boat explode, and Corky is so uh, upset that he almost like I don't know if he's fainting, but it's like he like Tex actually has to like hold him up. Yeah, because it's like he grays out. He he just he just he's so affected by it that yeah, um, yeah it's a uh, lovely Tex is there with his big old he's just being just being Charles Napier just being Tex. Um, yes. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, what now? Um, now did you did you think? Did now I I will say just one one more thing that just occurred to me. I would you have been mad if I. I I can't remember whether Sarah said she this this when 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 Jake is having the dinner with Sabrina um and and they've got the wine and everything is lovely and I think he says Sabrina purchased it. Uh does Sarah mm-hmm. know about that? I forget. I want to say yes, but I could be making Yes, that up. because she comes in yes. at the very beginning when they're yes, setting right. it up finds out that it's for um, him and Sabrina and, mm-hmm. and Jake wants to explain and she's like no I've had a very long day and she leaves yes. so she knows yes so th- so so that's because I wanted to make sure because I was just going to ask you um, put yourself in Sarah's place um, and maybe sing a little no I'm kidding um, <laughs> later later everyone later don't I'll, ha- I'll have her sing by the end of the series for us uh, am I blue um, maybe blues <laughs> in the night that's a good one um uh, I'm trying to think of uh, appropriate. No, I think Blues in the Night is 40s. Um, um, uh, don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me. I think that's one you could do. Um, but um, I forgot what I was talking about. I think I finished. No, no, um, no, no. So, so what do you think? Put yourself in Sarah's place, and so you know um, what Sabrina, the the meal, and Sabrina and Jake were gonna have. And then the next day, it's lunchtime. Come on in, and it's the same setup. What would you do? Yeah. Would you? Would you? What would, you, what were your thoughts? I would take the bottle of wine and leave. <laughs> because <laughs> absolutely, not. I'm not taking your recycled offering okay. of a meal. Like it was good enough for her, so it's good enough for you, and maybe you'll forgive me. Absolutely not. Give me the wine. I'm going to my room. <laughs> Okay, that's that's without, kind of, without you. That's kind of what I thought too. That's kind of what I thought would happen. Yeah, that that seemed uh, that seemed appropriate to me. And Lucky Corky comes in, and they have you know the episode ends in wackiness. Um, yes. Uh, but but yeah, that is um yeah that that was a thought I had when I saw that. I thought, don't um no, no, don't try to. I I I I, I see you become smitten with Sabrina, but I like Sarah, and I don't I don't think you should have done that. So, but I don't want to make this whole thing about that. Let's talk. Uh, well, we already talked convoluted plots. What else can we talk? Well, I guess let's talk about the ending. It ain't. It, I, I don't okay. think. I don't think it's going to ruin anything to say that. Like I said, Sabrina is. She. She. she she's not going to be a continuing character. You, that's the way these shows work. Um, be, main, mainly because she's not in the credits. Uh, so she might come back. You know, her character might come back in ten episodes or a season. But she's not going to be back in the next episode or two or three later. So that means either she dies or she's a bad, I was just say gal. Does bad guy, I mean bad gal is more correct, but does, it, does bad guy sound better? I don't know. 
villain. Way. A villain. How about I, she's a villain? I, she's a villain. She's yeah, a she's villain. an enemy agent. She, yeah, it turns out, yeah, she's she's an enemy agent. She's working for, and at first, uh, Jake thinks of the Japanese, but she's actually working for the Germans. And you think, oh yeah, you're she's pretty Aryan. I I can see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um and it is funny because she when they when they she pulls out this little the this little film and he says, what sort of camera uses that? And she's like German technology. You're like oh, those, those Germans, they were. They were effing nuts. I'm sorry, all my German listeners. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm kidding. It's these are all jokes. Um, these are I didn't write these, by the way. Kristen wrote these jokes about the Germans. <laughs> it's true, I did. It's true, she did. She did. Um, no. Um, uh, so, 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 yeah. So that's so. The, so, did you, did you, did you think she's either going to die in a hail of bullets? Or Sarah's going to beat the crap out of her and throw her in quicksand, or or um, or she's going to turn out to be an enemy agent. Did you? I mean, well, the first time you saw it. Well, okay, uh, I knew she was going to turn out to be an enemy agent, um, for reasons that I will explain later. But mm. I did not think she was going to die in a hail of bullets. I was wondering though how they were going to get to the point where she was going to have to either A, give up the film, or as she did, yeah. she destroyed the film instead of letting it fall into, quote, enemy hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did not I did not see Louis being in on that. Yes. And wow. coming up from behind. Mm-hmm. and he's, he's been monitoring the whole thing. Really since. making it so she wouldn't shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, did, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that ending coming. I'm just—I knew she was going to be bad guy. She had to have been. Okay. The yeah. villain, villainous, whatever. Villainous. Um, but um, yeah. I mean, you knew something was up because she so easily misdirected things in saying that it was Tex that was actually the enemy oh, agent, yes. mm-hmm. and that he was really German. And I went, absolutely not. <laughs> no in way. no reality no whatsoever is no that way. man going to no pass way. for German. No, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. A man who starred in three or four Russ Meyer films. No way. That's that's uh, <laughs> that's no way, no way. And um, um, I, yeah, I, I like, I like, I like, I like the thought that I, I wonder with Louis how soon he cottoned on to maybe what was happening. Maybe he knew the film was there. Maybe he knew that was there, and that's why he was there, thinking, okay, she's going to have to come for it, so I'll I'll be nearby. Or something like that, um, but it's a, but there is there is a lovely moment where as he's leading Sabrina down the steps, and Jake stand there looking crestfallen, heartbroken, as we all have numerous times during our lives, and 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 he says, um, what does he say to Jake? He says something like like I'm sorry, my friend. I I I I really wished. I forget what he says, but it's a really lovely. Something word. like I was I was rooting for you. Yes, yes, or it's something. something like I'm, that. I'm sorry, my friend. I was really rooting for you, or something like. It's it's really sweet. It's it's really a, mm-hmm. a a sweet and lovely moment. Although that's you know that's um uh, we're so we're all forgetting about that Sarah's a lady, right? Who likes Jake <laughs> and uh, and Jake likes her. We're all forgetting that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but um, what what else do you have on this one? It's like like we said, folks. It's um, it's it's um, it's pretty. It's 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 nicely paced. It's pretty raucous. Um, it's just maybe a little dippy yeah. in points. Well, speaking of Louis and Sarah, mm-hmm. they had a great interaction with Benny because Sarah's obviously jealous of Sabrina, mm-hmm. and with good reason considering Jake's actions. Mm-hmm. But he 
tells Sarah, Louis tells Sarah, isn't it time for another number? And she says, I don't feel like singing. And Louis says, not even for me, the wonderful man who paid you. <laughs> I'm like, well, how can you resist yes. a, a compliment like that? It's it's great that the thing I'm loving, that it's, it's, it's interesting what the show was doing in that when the show started off, you know, I... I was kind of indifferent to the Louis character, you know, and and you know loved having Sarah on there. But as the show goes on, goes on, Sarah's kind of in there less and less, and Louis becoming more and more charming. And I, yeah. I, I kind of wish they were able to keep it so that Sarah could be at the same level, and 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 Louis could because yeah, Louis like Louis like you said, Louis saves the day in this one. It's not, and there is is it, it's it's interesting the way it ends. Well, I don't know if it's that interesting. I'm going to claim it is. And we're gonna work off of that theory, but it doesn't end in like a big bang or craziness. It ends basically in two lovers arguing on a staircase, and one choosing her country over her lover, and then there just happens to be a Frenchman hiding on the staircase, <laughs> which happens so often was, in my life. I was life. gonna say, who amongst us? Who amongst <laughs> us? Since none of this happened on more than one occasion. Um, uh, what else? I this is this the episode where um, there's a scene where they're in the um, where uh, where Jake and Sabrina we're in the goose and it's like it's either dawn or dusk or I forget which and there's a lovely scene with a uh, Corky and Jack sleeping and they're just yeah. and Corky's asleep and Jack's kind of on his lap and they look very very comfortable. Yes, so fresh. <laughs> yes, I think it's. I think I want to say it's dusk, and they're looking for the moon, right? That that's yes. It. yes, that's it. Yes, that's it. Yeah. How high the moon? You could sing that one. Although I think that's probably too late to. I'm trying to think of my standards. This is thirty-eight, right? Is this? Is this? This one? is thirty-eight. I oh, could no. I could do swing jazz from the nineteen twenties. I do know some That'd of those songs. That'd that be would perfect. work. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. Oh, that would be perfect. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we. I forget what what episode is this? Fourteen or? I think this is 14. Okay, so we got 21 or 22. So we got time. We got time. You got time to prepare a little <laughs> number for everybody. I'll do that for th- for the finale. Yes, that? yes, yes, yes. Um, let's see. What else What else do you have on this? Um, oh, um, speaking of cute, quirky Jack moments, because there's always cute, quirky Jack moments. <laughs> um, so they, Jake and... Sabrina have been kidnapped by Yamamoto and his men, but Corky doesn't know that, and he's looking for him at the hotel. Mm. And he runs into Tex, who's also looking for them for different reasons, so they decide to team up and go looking for him. And Corky says, well, maybe a beer would help me think, and Jack barks no. <laughs> <laughs> and Corky relents. He does not argue yes. with Jack, and he yes. goes, okay, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, they make it, I, I would have... Um... I would have liked an episode, and I'm sure if the show had gone on with just the two of them doing something, like getting an adventure together. Oh, yes. You know, like I would have loved that. So, something where, like, um, uh, uh, maybe maybe um, Jake is sick, and they have to they have to do something, and so uh, Corky, Corky takes the plane out uh, with Jack, and then they get in some sort of adventure or something. Not like a, not like an adventure with horrible pirates who are going to kill them or something like that, but just uh, not like a super wacky one, but one with a, maybe, you know, he meets a really nice lady. Or something, yeah. You know, and it's a, uh, it's uh, I would, I would, you know, when 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 I think I, I haven't really thought ahead on this show like I have on some other shows of this sort, but there would definitely have to be like a Corky. I, you'd have to mix it up and maybe like um, 
give Stephen Collins a, a couple weeks off and let everyone else kind of take over the lead occasionally. I think that would have that would have been yeah. interesting. We could have like a whole Jack centric episode. Oh, that would be great. Just Jack having an adventure. That would be fantastic. And uh, Lorenzo Music, who did Garfield's voice, could do um, the voice of Jack. <laughs> could do Jack's voice. <laughs> There oh, you could, go. Could, could you imagine that we just have the um? It, it would intercut with like Jack shots of Jack looking around, and then you do the point of view shots along the floor. Oh, and so instead, since we have we have a, a voice for for Jack, so instead of the uh, Jake narration, we would have the Jack narration. Yes, yes. I've been a yes. dog all my life. <laughs> but it, and it could be the one maybe where he gets his eye back or something. He finds there a way. There we go. Uh, and um. But I've, I've never seen another dog without an eye until I happened to look in a mirror one day three years ago. You know, it could be Lorenzo, Lorenzo Music being sort of hard-boiled. Yeah. And he used to do that Garfield. They were occasionally on the cartoon. Garfield would do like a detective thing occasionally. So, yeah, that's so, right. He did. So we, so we could do something like that. Oh, I like that now. Where, where, where it starts off and, yeah, you hear the narration. And maybe it sounds a bit like Jake. But then you suddenly realize that it's not. It's someone else, and it's Jack. <laughs> that, I mean, you could even do that, too, as you went along, where, like, you could, you could have, like, you know, like, um, does everyone remember Tales of the Gold Monkey Season 3 when it started off where, like, every main character got to narrate an episode and tell their story in it and something like that? I say Season 3 just because, you, you know, you'd want to be fully set and going before right. you did something that crazy. Um, but, gosh, that would be fun. Do you remember when Sabrina returned? Oh! <gasps> Oh my gosh! <laughs> and she put the she put the whimwhams back on Jake. Oh boy! The whimwhams, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and of course there would hit a point too, obviously, where you got to like 1941, and Pearl Harbor hit, and like suddenly the face of everything changed, like oh, like yeah. like when Dobie Gillis and Maynard G. Krabs went in the army, it would be like that. But not as funny. Actually, that wasn't terribly funny when that happened on Dobie Gillis. But um, that's just me, though. Dobie Gillis fans don't write in. We're not talking about Dobie Gillis <laughs> on here. Um, but I, I, oh, I like that concept that the show had gone on, and each season had been like a year, like say like in Laverne and Shirley. And by the time we hit what season four, we'd be we'd be in the midst, the midst of yeah. it. And you could, you could have like um oh my gosh because they have all those great um. There's all sorts of great old-time radio. Um, well, that's not what they called it when they were doing it, but you know, you know what I mean. Um, like all those um, from Pearl Harbor, there are tons of um, recorded like updates throughout the day and stuff like that on there. So they could have those playing as as maybe something is happening on the island. Or so, oh my gosh, ah oh, boy, I wish I owned a movie studio. I I don't. <laughs> I don't. But we always. That's unfortunate. Yeah, that is unfortunate. And then maybe somewhere in there, they could meet Manimal's dad. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, that would be that fantastic. Makes sense. They go to an island, they meet Manimal's dad, and he helps them out by changing into animals. And um, they're not sure. <laughs> and only Jack. Jack is the only one who knows. You know, it's like. Yes, Jack, what, Jack, that what, makes are you, sense. what are you saying? That that giant panther was Mr. Smith? Woof, woof. Hmm. Are you lying? <laughs> Woof. Hmm. I think you're lying. Hmm. I don't know. But then, but then it would turn out that that was actually Manimal who was impersonating Jack. 
That would be wild. That Manimal Tales of the Gold. I'm writing this down. Manimal Tales of the Gold Monkey <laughs> crossover. That is a crossover. No one will be coming. <laughs> no, not at all. So, so I'm going to stop uh, because I will probably do this again with shows I enjoy. I tend to do this as we get deeper in. Um, if you've heard when Charlie Brown of the Mother F and Browns and I talked Manimal, we, we spent quite a lot of time doing this. And Mitchell and myself, when we did Search, we did this quite a lot too, what we thought the... Um, the next season of search could do um so i will say i will say what else do you have on this one because i think i might be done well i have a lot of uh little bits of trivia that you'll find interesting Mm -hmm. including exactly why i knew that that sabrina was going to be a spy so first of all i forgot to mention this on the last time that james frawley directed an episode Mm -hmm. but james frawley directed a majority of the episodes of the monkeys and he actually Mm -hmm. taught the monkeys improv Oh, wow. So a lot of the skills you see on that screen, it came from James Frawley. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, he also did uh, Muppet Movie, didn't he? Is it, am I right, I think? I could be wrong. Yes. He yes, did. he okay. did. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes, he did, I, I, he did the Muppet Movie. And I, I'd, like yeah. to, I'd like to imagine him uh, putting uh, Kermit on that bicycle, singing Rainbow Connection. <laughs> Come on, Kermit, he you can do a, this. And, and Jim Henson is underneath going, I don't have any legs. I don't have moving legs. <laughs> you could do this. Come on. He made it happen. He made it happen. <laughs> so I'm sorry. You were James Frawley. Yes. Uh, so, yes, that was my bit about. All the directs. Um, also, Sabrina was played. She was in two episodes of Magnum P.I. And um, one of the Japanese agents. His name's Dana Lee. He was actually in Hawaii Five O and the Hawaii Five O reboot, so I thought that was fun. But the biggest thing is that the reason why I knew that Sabrina was going to be a spy is because this is basically a rehash of the Magnum PI episode Texas Lightning, which aired the year before. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and basically same plot gambling bodyguard for this high-stakes poker lady who's played by Julie Summers. Oh, wow. Most of it, I think, though, takes place on a yacht, but the, mm-hmm. but they get shipwrecked as well. Difference is, is they stay shipwrecked longer mm-hmm. on their island than Jake and Sabrina do on theirs. And um, it basically ends the same way with, you know, there's no Frenchman. But okay. uh, Magnum basically putting it to Ju- the Julie Summers character about, mm-hmm. you know, emotions and love and betraying countries and things like that mm-hmm. so it pretty much ends with her oh, wow. not doing whatever she does with the film which she's supposed to do and you just basically you, you swap out russians for the japanese okay. german angle because it's the 80s so yeah i knew she was going to be a spy because i'd already seen this episode right. okay <laughs> wow it is yeah it is weird like as you know the more more tv you watch the more you see plot lines repeated but then when you see them repeated exactly you're like, okay, now, yeah. who, where'd that, hmm, well, okay. It's it's going to happen again during this series, and oh. I will be so glad to point that out to you, because <laughs> I actually love both episodes in which it happens. And, but um, it's it's kind of a common thing with Donald Belisario. He, re, really? he reuses, reuses okay. character names, he reuses plot lines, so. Oh, interesting. And reuses actors a lot. Yeah. Which well, we are grateful which for. Which is great, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, that's interesting. I always... As I, as I mentioned before, all I think of is, uh, and I won't mention it, it's W. Hermanos on Bourbon Street Beat reusing writer's strike. There was a writer's strike, so they just, they weren't allowed to use new scripts, but they could reuse old scripts. And so they would just take old scripts and have a production assistant or someone type in new names, 
and just record those episodes. So you sit there watching the last eight episodes of Bourbon Street Beat going, what is this show? What happened to the show that I was enjoying? Sometimes it, sometimes it works. Half the time it doesn't. And so, so that, that's, that's so interesting to me because, you know, as, as a kid, one of the problems I had, like, with, like, I didn't mind if a sitcom, you know, like, every sitcom, what, one of my favorite books, what is it, the um, television, syndicated television series, that huge purple book that McFarlane put out in the mid-80s, has a, um, I forgot the guys who wrote it, um, but it was like my sitcom Bible in the 80s, but it has a list in the beginning of it of, like, all these sitcom episodes, they pick like the 60 tropes that they saw happen over and over again. You know, and it's like someone gets handcuffed together. There's a holiday. There's a birthday. Uh, someone thinks someone else is pregnant. There's a there's a doppelganger, you know, something like that. And while I don't mind it in sitcoms, in sort of dramas and adventure shows, unless you're like, unless you're going absolutely hog wild, it, it, it always feels a little too similar to me sometimes. I'd actually be interested now. What was the name of that episode? I'm going to write it down. Was it Poker People? It's <laughs> It's Magnum PI's Poker People. It's <laughs> it's called <laughs> Is it Magnum PI's that it quotes Poker People or is Yes. It... Okay. Yes. Uh, it's called Texas Lightning. It's uh, I believe a season 2 episode. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm going to have a look and um I'm going to I'm I'm going to report back probably not okay. anytime soon everyone, but maybe in the future. And um, so, so what else? Do you have more trivia, or that is all for me. Excellent. All right. So I think I am good. I, it's a fun episode, but maybe just try Texas Lightning and see what you think. I don't. Yeah. I, I guess it all depends on who you want to see in the lead. And yeah. Do you, who you want to see in the lead, and do you want a cute dog or not? Yes. There you go. And and do you want a, a Frenchman lurking, yes. lurking, saving the day? But I do love Julie Summers, though. So that would be. Um, that would be a that would be a, a highlight because she's in my favorite Harry O episode, and uh, the 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 very first Harry O episode where she hires Harry to find out what happened to her brother who apparently went AWOL from the Navy, and she's hilarious in it. And they have her her and Harry have a scene on the on the beach by Harry's house where they're kind of arguing, which is one of my favorite written acted like two minutes of TV ever. Which I, I absolutely, I can, it's a two, two minutes I can put on and it always cheers me up if I'm feeling down. So I do love her, so I might, I'm going to try that out. Texas Lightning, I'm going to watch it now. Bye everyone. No, I'm kidding. I, 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 because I want to ask Kristen, where can we find you online or, or in general? What's happening over there? It's, it's I know, um, I know it's almost fall or it is the fall. It is it fall? How are you doing? How's fall treating you? It's fall. Um, we're getting frozen out after. You know, because fall came in hard after some 90-degree <laughs> temperatures. Now it's mm. in the 60s, and mm. we've got Apple and Pork Festival coming up this weekend. So we're oh, bringing wonderful. in fall hardcore. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Out yeah. here. Yeah, we. Um, I'm not going to talk about my weather. I'm just going to say, let's go on to another bit. Dan talks about the weather. That'll be a mini-sode I do. <laughs> <laughs> this is for, for everyone who wants to hear me talk about the weather for 10 minutes. I'll do a side episode of that where were we what what is up next here middleman Middle episode eight you will hear me give the full title of it 
when Kiki and I begin chatting about it. I, I, I stumble over it, so I'm not going to say it again here, but I call it the EPI. Okay. Jeremiah Chechik directed, directed again as Sarah Watson wrote it, August 4th, 2008. I, I won't go too crazy on the plot line here just because there's a lot that's going on, but there is a haunting at a local sorority, and it turns out that all is not as it seems. And at the same time, uh, the young gentleman, I'm forgetting his name, Tyler, who got the two-day amnesia. You remember him and Wendy almost had a thing, then he got the two-day amnesia, comes looking for a gal he seemed to remember having fallen quite heavily for. It may or may not be Wendy. That's all I'll say with that. I'm going to give you a little burst of something, and I'm going to say the title on the other side. Here we go. The Ectoplasmic Panhellenic Investigation. This the episode eight. Episode eight. We don't have a lot of episodes left in the middleman, which is too bad because unless... Kristen doesn't like this episode, which means I agree. I really love the show so far. So, Kristen, I'm going to ask, what did you think of this? Oh, I've got Kristen Hawes here, everybody. The ectoplasmic panhellenic <laughs> investigation. And and what's the other phrase they use? It's elegant in its simplicity. Yes. This is so elegant in its simplicity. Uh, how are you? What's going on? I'm feeling oddly cheerful and peppy. Yay! <laughs> how are you? I'm doing okay. You know, I always, you know, I was never in a fraternity. And I only went to one fraternity party when I was in college, and it kind of made me nauseous. So <laughs> I, I think seeing the sorority sisters, I think I would have had a much time, much better time, maybe with a bunch of sorority sisters. Uh, and I mean, I could have done like the guy did here, you know, I could have, I could have, or or like any number of guys in 1980s Animal House ripoffs did, dressed up as a woman and hung out with them. I could have done that. I was a pretty yeah. decent looking. I I've done that on occasion. It's been fun back back in the day. But um but uh, what what did you what did you think all right. Be honest. What did you think of this episode? Um I actually really enjoyed this episode <laughs> for someone who's I'm a three time community college dropout, so I too do not have the sorority <laughs> or frat experience. But um yeah, oddly enough, okay, so I watched this show when it was like first run mm-hmm. twelve 14 years ago now I don't know yeah, math 14, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's been a while and so as re-watching it because I have not seen it since then I basically use this podcast as an excuse to buy the the DVD set <laughs> so I could be like hey I have to get this so I can talk with Dan about it um so this has been my big rewatch, and um, I haven't like remembered like a whole lot of episodes, but this one started where I'm like, oh yes, I remember this, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I I liked that we have um, live, ghosts of the living instead of regular mm-hmm. ghosts, and I like the whole subplot with Tyler coming back and with his two day amnesia trying to put things yes. together, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that that little bit of drama that's happening on the sidelines there. Yes. Um, but yeah, I I really do enjoy this episode. Wow. What do you think? Wow, really? Yeah, really. <laughs> that's <a> great. That's <laughs> great. That's how you know Wendy's um, having an awkward conversation. She says, "Wow, really?" over and over and over again. And it's 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 nice because um we we know that we know that she liked Tyler. And we know that Tyler doesn't remember her. But then we also forget, I forgot, that Lacey was there at the booty chest briefly. Mm-hmm. I completely forgot. So it's a lovely bit of misdirection because when he shows up at Wendy's apartment and is or the sublet that she illegally um, you know, rents with another photogenic young woman, um, 
when he shows up and he's talking to her, you're thinking, I think he's talking to her, but I also think he's probably uh, about her when he's saying, well, I think I met a young a young woman. Why would he say that? That sounds like me talking about <laughs> the young people today. Not what he says. I think I met my soulmate that I just accidentally kicked the dog. I'm sorry, folks. We're, I, we're, we're dogs sitting right now, and so I got two dogs around me instead of one. So if I, if I accidentally yell something like, stop humping her... <laughs> That's not, it's not, it's a dog thing. There's no, this isn't, I'm not running a house of pain in a red room in my basement. Um, although, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, only at Halloween. I'm No, I'm in L.A., we don't have basements. What am I talking about? Um, uh, I forget what I was saying. Oh, so, so, so yeah, so, so there is kind of a lovely uh, moment where, you know, um, where, Wendy thinks she's talking. He's talking about her, and then suddenly Tyler's like, "Oh, you know Lacey Thornfield," and you and you can see her Ugh. everything. She sort of she just droops and Ugh. and it's just oh, that's too bad. And then we go through these shenanigans, and they do some lovely stuff in the sorority where the the gal, the really nice gal turns out to be the not really nice gal, and the bitchy gal turns out to be the really nice gal. Which is really a nice little twist, and then the um, and then there's the guy who, the fraternity guy who dresses up as a woman to seek the sorority, and he looks pretty good in the dress. I would have shaved my legs. <laughs> he does, you know, as as far as it goes, he do, he doesn't look bad. I mean, he could fool someone from a distance, I think. But I would have just, if you're trying to sneak, if you're trying to get to the third floor of a sorority, you gotta shave the legs, because you're gonna get called out. By well, every I mean, girl. It, it probably depends on the sorority. I suppose so. If they're more um, like a, Amazonian. More no, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, whenever I see like Wonder Woman and all the ladies on Themyscira, they always have, you know, clean shaven legs. But I would imagine there are some Thursdays where it's like they're all like, not today. Not today. Today we're taking the week off from shaving the legs and they just get hairy. And when the guys <laughs> come over from the local island to visit, they're like, whoa, hey now. What happened? What happened to our lovely Amazon ladies? And they probably then beat the crap out of those guys for doing that. Mm. I mean, remember all those movies back from the 50s and 60s and Untamed Women and Wild Woman of Wongo where, you know, there were the, the women tribe and the male tribe and they would end up in some sort of shenanigans. The ladies were always, you know, clean shaven and gorgeous. And so I just say, if you're going to sneak, I, I'm, I'm going to right after this, I'm going to shave my legs and try to break into sorority uh, down in UCLA. I'm not too far from there. <laughs> I, I, I can hop in the car. I'll be there. And I go there at night uh, on a Saturday evening. I can be there in 30 minutes. <laughs> and it'll be, and I, if I go there at Christmas time and you drive past the sorority house where I used to drive at a, at a job I used to have, uh, the commuter express bus would go by at like 6 in the morning. I worked really early. They would have all the Christmas lights on it, and it was gorgeous. So if I go on the Commuter Express, shave my legs, get in a dress, put on a wig, I can get to the third floor of one of those houses like that. I wish I could see ghosts like this guy did, though. But I don't want to jump ahead. What else did you What else did you like about this episode? <laughs> we went on a tangent. Well, um, when Tyler shows up at the at the middleman headquarters and they're arguing about getting rid of him, that she, he can't hang around because if he remembers, it could be a real yes, problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the whole time you see, so you see Ida on the security <laughs> cams going downstairs and getting rid of Tyler. And then she comes back up and she says she got rid of him. And <laughs> poor Wendy's like, you made the cute boy go bye-bye? <laughs> yes. 
uh, yeah, that was a great, that was a great, that was a great scene. I doesn't care. It was fun, and it was fun to watch because she talks. She seems to talk to him civilly for about ten seconds, and then she starts to do like a shooing kind <laughs> of thing, which is yes. very, which is very funny. Um, uh, and I do, you know, in the in the and they, uh, I we for, I forgot to mention that in the previous episode, Wendy mentions to Lacey, hey, maybe we can hang out. When Lacey's going on the date, second date with the middleman, or the first proper date, and, and Wendy mentions, maybe we could watch a little, uh, Mario Bava movie. In this one, and it's not a Mario Bava movie, but it's as, as strange, there's a lot of talk about the Zombies of Moratau, which is an actual movie from the mid-50s, and which, which we'll talk more about later, but I wanted to bring it up because I thought I might forget to mention it again because I forgot to mention Mario Bava. But but that have you ever seen Zombies of Morita? Um, I don't think so. No, I haven't seen it in a while. It it is like they say in this. It is the pre flesh eating zombie type movie. You know, because if if White Zombie in thirty two is more or less the first movie, and then we go up to the sixties, there yeah, pl- like Plague of the Zombies, the Hammer film from like sixty six. That's not a flesh eating one. But then 68 is Night of the Living Dead. But the thing about Night of the Living Dead, and this is where it's, it's great because Wendy and Tyler bond on this moment where he's like, you like zombies more at And she says, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I forget. She says, you know, with some ice cream and, you know, I forget something else, you know, I, I can, uh, I watch it and I enjoy it. He's like, but these are the boring zombies that don't eat flesh. And she, and it becomes a description. It's a zombie palate cleanser where you watch an early mm-hmm. zombie movie before they don't eat flesh, and then you can return, and then they mention the first ever, and then they say simultaneously Night of the Living Dead. At that moment, you know they should be together rather than Lacey and Tyler. But after the last episode where we apparently saw true love come apart at the end of it, you don't know. Love's up in the air in this crazy yeah. episode about a strange young woman making ghosts out of living women. So, but the thing, but the thing I will say about Night of the Living Dead, and I ha- I looked it up today just to see if I remember this correctly. But when I was a little kid at the end of the seventies, early eighties, around the time Dawn of the Dead came out, and Dawn of the Dead, they're zombies, and that's followed by Lucio Fulci zombie, which I think they mentioned a Lucio Fulci film in an earlier episode, and zombies become eaten the flesh throughout most of the seventies and beyond. But in Night of the Living Dead. They're not zombies. They're ghouls, which are a very specific kind of other thing. And that's all, that was fun because when I was a kid, I remember reading in a book my uncle had about Night Living Dead, in, and it was from like the mid-70s. In Night Living Dead, cannibalistic ghouls come to life. But you read that now and you laugh at it. And you go, they're not ghouls. They're zombies. But they never actually call them ghouls. Are zombies in the movies? They call them. I don't know if they call them ghouls either, but that's what George Romero called them back then. So I, I, that's a little zombie tangent, but this is you know that there's a nerdy zombie tangent, but this is a nerdy show. So I don't think that's that's going far astray. But I love the fact that they sort of bond over this pretty obscure-ish zombie movie from 1957. I don't remember exactly what it's from, but uh, what else do you have on this one? Um, so they get the phone call, the emergency phone call, and mm-hmm. Ida plays it, but it's basically her physically enacting it because the facial expressions oh, yes. are just yes. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> so they follow up and find um, 
what's his name, Lewis, in yeah. custody. Mm-hmm. And they spring him because they're like they're from the pair. They they say they're they said they were Stance and Bankman, I think from yes from the Ghostbusters yeah par- the paranormal um, <laughs> division or whatever. And they're like he can only be released to Metro Police, and they're like of the Metro Police. <laughs> yes, like, right they, this way. <laughs> they drop the badge down immediately. Yeah, and they and they go and get him, and he's explaining it, and he goes because he's still in his dress get up and he's like these boobs might be fake but that emergency phone call was real (laughs) (laughs) and doesn't like the middleman pulls out something or other to check to examine him don't hit me don't hit me i have rights he said i would never hit a man dressed as a woman Um, i forget exactly what the rest of his line is i should have written it down it was very funny i'd never hit a man dressed as a woman unless what the hell was it uh, I will. Well, we'll get. I, I'm going to say it later. But it was. It's a very funny line. Yeah. And as always, he delivers it very sincerely. Yes. So you believe it completely. And that's what he find out. They find out that he doesn't have a pineal gland. Yeah. Which they asked him if anything it's strange had it happened in the last in in the last few months or whatever. And and he said no. And then he says, Oh yeah, I had that removed because I had brain surgery a few months ago. And. She, Wendy's like, should have brought that up during the question and answer period. <laughs> yes. And then and then when the, the um isn't it when they're talking about sending Wendy in there and um something about well you, you still have your pineal gland and there's nothing we can do about that and doesn't Ida have like a saw or, or something <laughs> like that. Where she's yeah, like, you know, she, she can fix that. <laughs> yeah. She's like, can, can you bring us up something that you know, so <laughs> she can see the ghosts and she like brings out the surgery tools. She's like, mm. Oh yeah. It's great because to me the um, whenever I think of the pineal gland, which I think creates I want to say serotonin. Don't quote me on that. Um, but Rene Descartes, the famous philosopher, I think therefore I am, um, in his last published piece, basically it, it was all about I forget what it was called, but it was all about how the pineal gland is the seat of the human soul which a lot of people thought was nutty. But um, I think it's a lot of fun. And I actually, back when I was writing novels rather than books of reviews, my third novel, uh, which has not been published but might be one day, is called uh, Cogito Ergo Salto, which is I Think Therefore I Dance. And it's basically the premise of the book is that it is when Descartes, and I won't go on too long about this, but when the hell does the pineal gland come up in anything, right? So, so give me a minute. Um, the, uh, um, the 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 premise is that that treatise that he wrote on the pineal gland was actually a biographical book he wrote about the last few years of his life. Um, obviously, he wrote before he died. I don't mean to say like you know he these these are the last few years. I'm dead. No, he he at the end of his life he wrote this story and it was a story about him meeting a. a up with a uh, young uh, little girl who had a paratesis, which is the disease where, you know, you, you would see that thing in like the, the um, tabloids, the wolf kid, you know, who had hairy hands and arms and a hairy face. Right. That's paratesis. And it was this little girl who had this disease. So they had to shave her constantly. And he somehow became friends with her, but she was, the Spanish Inquisition was after her in some way, shape, or form because they thought she was a devil. And when he originally wrote his pineal gland treatise, it was mixed in with this story of him and this little girl basically getting in adventures. 
and um, and the novel that I wrote is presented as all the adventures and none of the philosophizing. So all of the pineal gland stuff is taken out. You know, so they'll be like, he'll be talking to her, and, and then all of a sudden there'll be a little thing that says, editor's note, this is followed by 15 pages of pineal gland discussion. And then it'll go back to the, the story, and they get in adventures, and they have fun, and he just, um, he just, it's just basically sort of like an old man meeting a younger person who just sort of comes to life again. And they have these adventures. But it's written like a philosophical treatise, so the paragraphs are like a page each. And there are no regular like spacing of like um, dialogues, paragraphs, and sentences and things. And so it's a really weird-ass book. But it was based on this pineal gland thing. And so I just thought I'd bring it up. I don't think any... I, I still have a copy of the book. I still think it's wonderful. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll publish it on Kindle or something. But um, when I heard them mention Pineal Gland, I was like, oh, how can I not say this? It's my podcast. I can say it. <laughs> Although I might edit it out. So, But anyways, um, what, el- what else about this? <laughs> There's well, a lot of stuff. I had to look it up before we leave the p- Pineal Gland for finally. Um, I had to look it up. It controls uh, secreting melatonin, and melatonin. it's in control of circadian sleep. Oh, so man. now I'm wondering how Lewis slept. I mean, he must have had to drug himself oh, to yeah. keep his circadian rhythm regulated. Yeah, that's right. He, it's it's great the way they do his uh, 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 sort of do his character because he shows him in that first scene, and that leads them to go investigate the sorority. But then when they get to a point where where Wendy can no longer see the ghost, she can't hear them, but she can see them. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? We need to find out what's going on. And this is like 20 minutes later in the episode. And some one of them is like, oh, there is someone. And you're like, who? And then all of a sudden you see those hairy legs and the high heels <laughs> again. You're like, oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. And he has a really wonderful um, dialogue between the five sisters arguing about who's fatter and wearing peasant dresses <laughs> and things like that, which is, which is, quite, which is, which is quite which is quite funny. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's, oh, this, this episode, well, I'll, I'll let you, you, you say something else. I'm sorry. This, this one with that Descartes thing, I'm sorry. I think I went off on a tangent, uh, uh, a bit much there, but again, I haven't mentioned that novel in literally probably 15 years. So you write a novel, you, you know how it goes when you can mention it, you mention it. That's right. It's the rule. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So, so, so uh, what, what else? What else do you have on this? Oh, speaking of rules, is that one of the Moscow rules? There are fifteen. It's one of the there. Moscow rules. There are fifteen. That's like fifteen B, I think. Yes. Um. Yeah, because they fix Wendy up with glasses so she can mm-hmm. see the ghosts. She can't hear them because that's how she gets the middleman to stop talking about the Moscow rules in the car. Is okay. that she said, hey, oh, yes. did you have an, used to have an Irish setter? And he's like, Captain something. And she goes, gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, she ends up getting her glasses broken because she goes into the bathroom mm-hmm. to have a conversation with the middleman over the watch because she's figured some things out that she's seen, ghosts of the living. But he's like, ghosts of the living? And she's like, is that your explanation or is that one of your catchy <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exclamations? And he's like, a little of both. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it because she catches Allie eavesdropping mm-hmm. on her. And Allie kind of, because Allie's been suspicious of her 
a little bit since the, in the short time that she's been there. Mm-hmm. And um, but she knows the handshake, so yes. that, that loosens that it helps. up. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and um, but then um, Allie says because she's uh, I guess Lace or what's her name? Wendy gets yeah. a text from Lacey that has Lacey and Tyler because yes, they're together kind of on a date. L- looking adorable, and she yeah. ends up spilling her guts to Allie because Allie pitches herself as as someone who is great at uh, love triangle drama, mm-hmm. and so she ends up spilling her guts to the sorority sister, and it's kind of sweet because. Allie sincerely wants to help her. Yes. And it makes for a sweet scene, but then she bails as soon as Eleanor shows up. And then the next thing you know, (laughs) she gets, she figures out to look at who's not, who's there and who's not in there. And that's how she figures out Eleanor is probably behind this, Mm -hmm. but she gets like a pillowcase thrown over her head and it breaks her glasses. Yes. Even though Ida said she probably tried to smoke them. (laughs) Lay off the doobage. Yeah, lay off the doobage. And she gets taken outside, and they're giving her a proper sister sorority welcome because she Mm. calls the middleman. And they're doing this cheer, and you can see the girls that don't know how to do it, and that's when (laughs) Allie comes up and says, listen, this is the only way I can talk to you because Mm. Eleanor won't leave me alone. Uh And explains that something weird is going on, and then middleman rolls up and pretends to be her brother. Yes, and that's great. (laughs) <laughs> they make her sound out like she's illegitimate. Yes, but it, well, our mother had a night, uh, a night in Tijuana. Tijuana. Yes. Yeah, because she's like I'm Cuban. Yes, <laughs> which is and great. Because when they're leaving, he, she's just like, "Why can't you be the illegitimate, disreputable <laughs> one?" Exactly, because you know that the middleman he knows everything about Wendy. Yeah. So when he was saying that, presumably he was probably a bit flustered. He said he's flustered. Uh, mm-hmm. By the sorority, so so he would have uh, you know rather than Havana or something like that, he said Tijuana. Not not. I don't think he was being horribly racist. I think he was just flustered by yes. everything that was going on around it. And it's so funny. It is because it's like last minute. Hey, big brother. Hey, little hey, sister. sister. <laughs> Mom wants. Or yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, and um, and so we get we get um. Uh, Eleanor, right, is the bad, yes. the baddie, and she has my plan is sheer elegance in its simplicity, isn't it? No, <laughs> um, and, and because her plan is she's got some sort of big hoo ha that she's hooked up five of her psychic, a uh, psychic physics club um, friends to, and they switch bodies um, with um, uh, the five lead uh, people in the. Um, in the in the sorority, Allah, and this this came actually two years after the Doctor Who episode New Earth, where Cassandra does the same thing to the tenth Doctor and Rose. She keeps leaping into their bodies, and um, I, I'm not a huge fan of that episode. Um, but when Eleanor leaps into the middleman's body, and she's like, "Oh," and she could feel like the hunkiness of it, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. And when it turns out that he was the highlight of the party. <laughs> the great line about what they say early on when when Eleanor says, you know, we're going to have a party that will make Caligula blush, yeah. and then and then um, and then when she's uh, when Wendy goes to see, I forgot the nice girl who was not nice girl's name. What was her name? Uh, Allie. 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 Yeah. And she says, and she says um, something like, uh, um, 
I <laughs> she say it's something it's, like it sounds like Caligula's partying in your living room or something like that. <laughs> well, I don't know who she is, but if she's <laughs> something like if she's a real slut and whore, then this is her or something like that. And it's just great. And again, you think this is ABC Family? Who are the who is the who are the ABC families? viewers well, well yeah because lewis said something but he heard something like they said some, uh, some or something like skank and yes. more and i'm just like yeah this was aired after nine o'clock wow yeah and and the previous episode had even though it was bleeped had the oh when she says <laughs> tropic of cancer so so it's like you watch these at succubus and incubus succubi and incubi and it's like you watch more and more of this and think it's i'm surprised that there's no mention of this should have never been on abc family I'm not sure what many people think this could be. This was like putting your show on the Dumont Network back in the early 1950s. You were dead. I don't care if you were the life of Riley with Jackie Gleason or, or Ernie Kovacs. You were dead. You know, and 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 so so it's like watching this. You're like, and and it aired in the summer too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the summers I don't think is ever. I mean, it, it back now it doesn't matter. But it still did matter a bit back in 2008, like a summer show rather than a, a fall, an autumn to spring show. Um, but um, uh, oh, oh, what else? So, so, so we got Tyler. We got, the, of course, the Moscow rules are the 15 rules that um, I don't. Is it, is it the rules they go by, or is it just rules they have? And it's, it, it, the Moscow rules are specific, I think, to spying. Okay. Because an infiltrating because it's like you know you can't trust technology. That's number nine. That, yeah, you're never alone. Mm-hmm. You know stuff like that. And and it's great because he starts to tell them to Wendy, and by the time he gets to like five, she's like, "How many of these are there? Fifteen. <laughs> so, oh boy, <laughs> that's what she she pulls off the dog trick. Um, you've got Lewis who has to go get Wendy because you know Eleanor's oh, taking yes. his body mm-hmm. and the, I love the way that he proves that middleman is there because Wendy's a little dubious and and she's like tell she's like say something that you know only he would know and he goes Wendy I can't dis- divulge middleman secrets with a civilian interpreter and she's like let's go let's go <laughs> yeah <laughs> like but yeah that's him and it's like, yeah, Wendy's going through a lot in this episode. She has that happen, the middleman sort of taken away from her. And then the way that she says to Lacey, no, no, Tyler uh, doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. But then Allie, who she just met and who doesn't know her, says, no, no, no. And she grabs the phone and says, Lacey, yes. Lacey, you do, you do not go out with this Tyler. Wendy is, is heartbroken over here. You do not do this. And Lacey's like, what's going on? Who are you? What's happening? <laughs> I love it because it's like this is after the middleman and and Wendy have like had a physical fight. They beat the they beat the Nikes like, out of each other. It's yeah, straight up cat fight. It is not. It is it is definitely sorority level cat fight. It is mm-hmm. not rural bar cat fight because mm-hmm. there weren't enough weapons used, but <laughs> there was some biting and, and hair pulling and some slapping, and he clocks. Wendy and knocks her out because the one guy confronts him and that's yes. when he runs away. <laughs> so he tries really to be Eleanor. as masculine as he can, but Eleanor is kind of peeking through. Yeah. There, and yeah. and so here they're trying to figure out what's going on and, and that's when Lacey calls and in the middle, so in the middle of this chaos because they know the middleman is going back to um, headquarters and they're trying to warn Ida. Yes. So in the middle of this is that's when Lacey calls and that's when Allie tells her, you know. 
when do you really just have feelings for Tyler and, you, Tyler and you should date him? And I'm like, so in the midst of all of this, yes, that's a, what's it's happening. A, it's a heavy episode. It's a heavy episode for wedding. And then, and then, yeah, the middleman's in there uh, about to destroy middleman headquarters and stuff. And Ida's going through, um, like, a, like, a, like, I guess, like Ripley and Newton, like aliens, they're going they're through these ventilation shafts, yes. but it's Ida. So, and, because, and she actually breaks through the, the final one um, after the middleman is back. Um, but, but yeah, you get, there's just, it's, 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 it, one of the things I love about the show is you get, um, now I, I like, this, this is sort of the beginning of the Tyler and Wendy thing, which I believe will continue. Um, I'm not as enamored of this, but I'm sure I will become more enamored of this as I was with Lacey and the Middleman in the previous episode. But I also think that the Middleman... There's an episode where the Middleman, and I don't know if we've watched it yet, but I may have watched ahead, where they're discussing love, and he says to Wendy something along the lines of, I have loved and been loved. And... Uh, you you realize that that as sort of stoic and and square as he is in his Eisenhower jacket, um, he 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 has experienced everything she has. He may be uh, ten years older or or even slightly older than that, but you 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 sort of and and you you, you and and that's the, I I think why I like the. Um, the, the romance of the previous episode a little more than the um, the the sort of bur- um, bur- burgeoning that's not quite the word I wanted plot the plot line in this one but I think this is setting it up but there is that moment though where um, uh, Wendy's on the phone and she's like that is that sexy boss man and and tell tell uh, tell Lacey I said hello and I, I hope she's well tell him I'm over him she says hello to you. <laughs> <laughs> It's like okay, there's still there's still gonna be something there, but we're gonna do a little moonlighting on it, yes. and we're gonna take some time. Unfortunately, moonlighting was able to do everything it needed to do over the course of five seasons, and we only have <laughs> how many more episodes of middle <laughs> four? Four. So yeah, we don't have much left. So, um, uh, what else do you have on, on this? I do like the moment where Lewis um thinks he has to fight the middleman. Um, oh yeah! <laughs> you want me to go after him? <laughs> no, you don't. You don't want to. If you had seen that scene, he he beats up two guys in the previous episode. Like he just slaps their heads together and throws them down, and it's just it's it's just crazy. So you're like Lewis. No, you're right. You don't want to. You don't yeah. want to. Lewis, you gonna make me fight that body? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, so um. Uh, what else do you have on this one? What um, any, anything else on on the on the uh, Eleanor's plot or or um, uh, look well, at my notes here? I did like that the way Ida confirms that the middleman that returns to middleman headquarters is not the middleman is by saying, "Do you need anything else before I go home to my husband and children?" <laughs> yes. And of course, Eleanor doesn't know better, so she's like, "He's like, no, leave me." Have a good night. And so that's when she's like in the other room getting the tranquilizer, the, the big yes, tranquilizer, big gun tranquilizer gun together. And so when she falls on him after he, the Wendy's hit the big red button. So the switch was made mm-hmm. and it's, he goes, it, Ida, it's really me. She goes, I'm not falling for that one again. And she <laughs> hits him with this sedative. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's very, it's very nicely done. And when, um, it, um, 
it 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 everything ends up okay, everyone, and we get the new the new term in this one, the new minute minute man middleman term, which is um, uh, going to Greenland. Yes. And they're the, one of my favorite Doctor Who stories of all time, Ghost Light from the twenty sixth season, has a thing which is um, uh, going to Java. And going to Java is basically when this mother and daughter who don't know their mother and daughter because they've been hypnot- sort of hypnotized, taken over by an alien. Uh, whenever anyone comes to their house to try to find out what weird alien stuff is going on, they send them to Java, which means they kill them. And in uh, and that's very much a Darwin-related thing, so that's the going to Java. But this going to Greenland means... Um, I don't. Does it mean they're actually going to Greenland, or is that yeah, just like a? Th- they're okay. actually going to Greenland. <laughs> they're sending them to Greenland to do great scientific work. Yes. And they're going to. So 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 Eleanor's going to have a, a great a great life. She's just going to be in Greenland. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, and not being murdery. So that's good. <laughs> yes, and I, I will say I'll just say I'll just say one more thing, then I'll stop. Because um, I've I've tangented too much. <laughs> tangent tangent. Yeah. Um. But there's the. Uh, the first few times you see the ghosts, the way they do it is very nice. Because it's not scary, but it's like you just see Wendy walking around. She has the glasses. Then all of a sudden she stops. And then all of a sudden you see these four or five images like, kind of like looking at her. You're like, what the hell? It's not the conjuring. But, you know, it's it's still kind of like, whoa, hey, what the heck is going on? And then when it gets explained, it's very um, it's very sort of, like we said, more sci-fi-y. It's, it's the spirits. Uh, um, taken from the bodies, trying to get back to the bodies, and so. Uh, what what else? Do you have anything else on this one? I think I think I'm I think I'm good. I think I, okay. I have one more little comment that I want to say, and then I have a little bit of trivia. So um, the one thing I do want to say is that the way Lacey and Wendy resolve the Tyler issue, and Wendy saying that you know if you really like him, I can totally fake enthusiasm for your relationship, and then Lacey saying no, we broke up because there was no spark there. And she said, but everything that you said in your very nice speech, I can't remember all of the words, but just pretend I just said them to you. <laughs> and I thought that was very sweet. I really do love their their friendship, and I like that Wendy got to kind of get with Tyler at the end. Yes. That was nice. Yes, that's a sweet scene that he he rented Zombies of Moratau, or bought it maybe even, and they're going to have some, not chic your booty, was it booty chest? Booty chest. Chicken wings, yes. Because he... he because Lacey's vegan and that did not jive with him. He does like <laughs> I needed to get some animal. Yes. I think is what Tyler said. Yes. Is a great one. <laughs> um, and the little bit of trivia that I have is, so speaking of Tyler, Brendan Hines, he was superior on the 2016 live action tick show that they did. Oh, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, 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 the Amazon, was it Amazon? I, I don't remember. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, it was the because the first one was Patrick Warburton was Warburton, in that yes. one, and then the second one was different people. Yes, um, yes. I just remember that being on my Twitter timeline. Oh wow! <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, because because the because um, the the Patrick Warburton tick is only ran for nine episodes, which means it may show up <gasps> on Amazing show? Super Trek, and it's it is my uh, my wife and I watched that show all the way through probably ten times. 
So we absolutely adore that show. We think it's hilarious. Um, so uh, so if you don't have anything else, and I'm watching Ida now falling through the duct and landing on the middle of <laughs> and her big, I don't know what the hell that, it's like fruit slice dress or whatever the hell it is she's wearing. It's a she lot has of fun. excellent fashion. Uh, it's super really fun. Uh, so so what, um, uh, what, uh, where, where can we find you online? You can find me at akakikiwrites.com. It is the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old away Fibo podcast. You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. And if you want my Ida fashion tips in real time, you can get them by following me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Yes. And uh, next up, what do we have next up? Um, see, I've, I've forgotten where we even are. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Is it, is it the obsolescent? cryogenic meltdown thing yes that is the one <laughs> and you're gonna like this one i think let's uh <laughs> let me play a little bit of this and next up is whatever's up next you know us i i always forget what i'm doing next so <laughs> let me hit you with this and and we'll be back <laughs> holy heck Kristen! you know what i just realized what's that that the the next thing we're talking about here is the final episode of Battlestar Galactica. Oh my gosh, really? Yes, it's we're we're at the end after after about a year and I Christopher at the end, and I just I, I um, it's it's exciting. It's exciting, right? You know. It you, is. Yeah, I mean we've got to the end of two shows together, uh, uh, Green Hornet and Auto Man. <laughs> You know, yes. As, as, as you know, as a you know, maybe Auto Man isn't as epic as Battlestar Galactica, but but it is. I, I just realized I need we need to give it the proper intro. So um, next up, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, the final episode. Goodbye, Christopher. Thank you. We'll miss you. Goodbye, Apollo. But, oh, goodbye, Starbuck. Goodbye, Lauren goodbye, Green. Goodbye, Lauren Green, and your toupee. <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye, all the ladies and the, that little kid and that annoying dog thing. And goodbye, the Cylons who kind of vanished <laughs> throughout much of the series. But that's okay. Maybe they'll be in this episode. I, I forget what happens. Something great. <laughs> of God, the 21st and final episode of Battlestar Galactica, April 29th, 1979, written and directed by Donald Belisario. Uh, this one involves the return of the Cylons. Jeez, I, I, I don't want to give too much away because we talk about it a lot, but it's the return of the Cylons, and there's also, um, they, they receive a strange radio signal, which might be from Earth but there's some Cylons, and then Apollo and Starbuck have to go on board one of their, their big ships and all kinds of craziness, and I'm not going to... I don't, I don't want to give too much... We go to, we talk about it a lot, but, but just suffice it to say, the Cylons are back, and the gang and the Galactic are receiving some weird signals that could be from Earth. And I'm going to say goodbye to you all from the links of this episode here, everyone, because I believe at the end of the chat, we just go directly into the closing music. So I will talk to you in the next episode when we will introduce a brand new old show. Enjoy the chat. The Hand of God. Welcome to... <laughs> Did you hear that? Was that the Hand of God? What was that? Did you hear that? What was that? Um, I think I think we are about to talk about the last episode of Battlestar Galactica, the original Battlestar Galactica, not the reboot. Um, and 
I have here with me Mr. Christopher Bly, who I call Principal Doctor Super Secretary of the World, Christopher Bly, but he just prefers that I call him Christopher. That's his <laughs> thing. So Christopher, how you doing? Pretty good. And just I just want to say one thing. I say just when we were Cylon free, the last two episodes, oh. here they come one more time. Oh. So with that, with that in mind, launch the Vipers. Yes. So, so, um, so this is the final episode about now. I don't. Usually, when we get to the end of a show, we we immediately start to talk about we're at the end of the show. But this show actually has, I'm not, I, I'm not talking about the reboot, but this show actually has a second season. But the second season is another show, which I hope that a gentleman I know named Dr. Principal Christopher Bly will join me to talk about, if he, if he wouldn't mind. Do you know the show I'm talking about? Uh, what show is it, Dan? Uh, enlighten uh, me. That would be Galactica 1980. Oh! <gasps> 80? 80! Oh, whoa, 80! 1980, when you say 1980 to Chris, he jumps around the room and gets very excited, and we need to call the police. Give me a moment. Beep, boop, boop, beep, beep. Ah. (laughs) It it does bring out the four-year-old in me right there, because that's exactly (laughs) what it was when uh, that year happened to come about. But we're still back in the year 1979, and we're dealing with... uh, uh, yeah, parting is such sweet sorrow. It, it but, uh, Yeah. I'm sorry, please, sir. Yes. And this is, uh, and right now the person that's on deck with this episode is none other than uh, supervising producer and creator of many shows, uh, Jag, uh, Quantum Leap, Leap. Uh, Mr. Donald Belisario. Yes, Tales of the Gold Monkey. Two, Don, Mr. Donald Belisario brings this show home. And I th- I think he does a for a, now what I think when we look at this historically this is a series finale but um, I also think that um, this is this is this is a fantastic season finale um, but I would like to ask my my friend. Over how long have we talked? How long have we done this, Chris? It's been eight months, twelve yeah. months. It's been a year. Yeah, I, I like to think about a year, maybe. I th- rough, rough estimate. Yeah. Yes, I would say so. Chris and I, we've known each other for a year. Chris lives in a bunker somewhere in the <laughs> Northeast United States. I live above the clouds somewhere in the Western United States. Um, the, both places kind of smell the same. Yeah. And delivery. Is the same. If he gets a pizza, he gets it the same time I do. So there's yes. no there's no break there. So, um, but um, wit um, wit wit. That's not a word. That wit, what, wit, where am I? Hint to the synchronizing of the watches. Where, of where am I? Yeah. <laughs> so we're at the, we're at the end of the series, and I'm going to begin making up words. Valtanta Magugo. Where where how are you? What did you think of the hand of God? The final, well, it's the final episode of the original Battlestar Galactica. What do you think of it? It's a whole other show altogether there. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I got to tell you, this kind of was kind of kicking us back almost about full circle in a way. 
because, you know, in a pilot we were dealing with, you know, a situation where uh, some affection happened with one person, and now it looked like it's kind of gradually going into another, which is basically the case with Apollo. Apollo, you know, um, had somebody they loved that uh, was rescued uh, and the pilot, but unfortunately we would lose this person about a couple of episodes in because one actress did not want to continue with the show. So that's sometimes what they do when there's a dispute or uh, thinking of, I didn't sign on for this. Uh, this is not my muffler. And so in this case, you know, so basically what is quoted at one point in here is shared with now the third person that happens to be having the affections for Apollo, and that's Sheba. Sheba Yay. makes reference to yeah, the, the wonderful Anne Lockhart in yes, the, yes, the yes. Unlock the Heart uh, of Anne. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's quite good uh, and in many places and still looks terrific today, as a matter of fact. But getting back, um, it's one of the first times that he's ever questioned about his first love while he's been in the colonial uh, galactic galaxy here, uh, the galactic um, galaxy, whichever you want to call it. And... Um, uh, so that's one of the first times. And like I said, it's kind of like a pilot situation that comes all around and say, hey, you've had these two in the past, because now Athena and Boxy, sadly, are now the faces on the milk carton during this particular episode. Yes. Uh, and, we, yeah. I, yeah, we don't, and we don't see Daggett either. So that's, They're uh, in the know, credits, but they're... They're in the you know, constantly, you know, you always see these people, but you'd figure with this being the last episode that everybody would come together and kind of mm -hmm. have, you know, everybody get to have one last moment before yeah. we, we lock ship on the uh, on the galaxy, wondering whether or not we're going to ever get yes. to Earth or not. Yeah, and some so, of them uh, do, but but not enough of them do. Is the not even thing. Green Bean. Green Bean's not even back over yes. there, good old Ed Bigley Jr. But, um, but the thing <laughs> is, is that, yes. um, in this case, now, as we get introduced to our wonderful, now, couples here, because now we have uh, Starbuck is with Cassie on this one, and... Apollo seems to be with Sheba now, and they get exploratory to an area that's not usually explored on the Galactica, this observatory, where it's giving everybody kind of Fantastic like a... Fantastic room, a, yeah. Yeah, a nice bubble, and, you know, you kind of seen some great sights. But the interesting thing is, on this very high chair that is not for the uh, Empiris leader, uh, different kind of chair, because it's like this one gets a view, and the other one's just dark and... And might have some light every, every once in a while, but very that's very ominous. Here we get some brightness and a little more openness of this uh, this uh, universe, um, this wonderful uh, galaxy of sorts. If you, we mentioned that word a lot, take a drink if you've heard that again. Um, and gulp. Uh, gulp, there you go. <laughs> and then uh, they come across this room, but it ha on this this high chair happens to be uh, some place that gets a lot of gamma signals. And they say, oh, it's obsolete, you know, nobody uses it. And all of a sudden, there's a crackle. And they start to see some, they start to hear some sound, and they start to see a picture, but it's not too clear. And things are recorded, and saying like, okay, maybe this might be an answer. Maybe this is something from years ago. Maybe it's something from that. We don't know. Meanwhile, uh, we are told uh, that there is a, um, for some reason, the, the occasion they come into, they have headphones. Who knows if this was maybe the concert that Cassie was referring to, or maybe another one since, as we learned in last episode, the Galactica has been open for theatrics, for music, and, of course, ceremony. But uh, we don't have any ceremony in this one, but somehow some kind of bit of the arts happened to be there. And now they want further exploration as, further exploration as to what happened with this signal. 
And as they're exploring they're, the time, they're saying, like, maybe there's an answer, maybe not. Uh, a Cylon starbase is found. And this time they feel we found them before they found us. So now there is a plan of attack put into mode by Adama saying, okay, this is our time to strike. This is our time to get them before they get us. So how do we do this? So basically they come up with a plan and they happen to say like, okay, we've got a ship, but it looks like one of theirs, but we have to bargain with that constant uh, person in the prison barge that needs bargaining, and that's Baltar. Baltar with his wonderful Shakespearean English and yes. pronunciation. Yeah, but all of a sudden it feels like that he's a little bit on downers here because he's not as desperate or as energetic or off four different walls at the same time. No, he's kind of a little more subdued than we've seen him in normal episodes here. And something that we thought was unlikely at the beginning of the season or the middle of the season happens here. The Roman handshake between Adama and Baltar being he's now going to help out to, to see that this star yes. base gets, gets, uh, is gotten to by these guys first before they first get to us. It's a very common, common thing. And, um, and uh, by the way, they say the view from this observatory is like writing in the hand of God. Oh, God. Said the title. You know what that means? Stand up and applaud and cheer. Hey! Yes. Never mind about a drink. Repetition is for drink, but yes. the title has excitement. Yeah. This is the Very thing. Very supervisory. And so they call on Boomer, and they figure he's going to call up to something else. But he says, no, I think we, we need to kind of explore this a little more. And... We've never seen Colonel Ty look more snoopish in this than we see him in this particular episode because yes. he just needs to know everything and, mm -hmm. and want to know every single bit. But now he finally realizes the game plan. It's like, okay, guys, this is our moment. This is our chance. So basically what could have been a great exploration turns out to be another mission and one that we're the first ones to strike, not the ones that are retaliating. So... One's tired of basically Adama is tired of running after the Cylons. He thought they were gone. Now is a chance to put them out once and for yes. all. Now we we notice something too. We see that the at certain times where we see the Cylons, first off, uh, there is no Imperious leader, there is no Balter, there is no high chair. There's also, just a gold, more gold guy or something, and right? a lot of mechanical dialogue. Yes. By your command, you know, it's like it's basically a lot of. A lot of like, you know, computerized kind of chatter. Not with the excitement or flamboyancy of other characters that have been here, like Lucifer, or uh, yeah. like or like Baltar. When when was the last time we saw them? Was it when um, Lloyd Bridges attacked them, or when was it? That? Was it was when they had that planet that they had on there where we looked like it looked like they found another Lucifer. It was like another one of that. Oh yes, yeah, 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 Okay. It was somewhere around that one, but basically. Strategy and game plan are in place. Yes. And and basically past dealings with Baltar come into play. They in one scene they get to oh by the way, he's also offered a drink and that drink suspiciously looks like Hawaiian punch. <laughs> Which basically another one like I said, might have been a network thing because we know Donnie and Marie who was going on at that time were doing a lot of commercials for Hawaiian Punch. <laughs> that reference literally because sometimes they say, Well we gotta pay them if they, if we give them a uh, like a product a product placement here. But mm -hmm. basically we have the carafe, 
the red liquid and Baltar takes a drink, I think it's pretty obvious that we know Baltar is now going to be addicted to a wine punch. So, yes. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. So then we get to the point where they're about to go into they're about to go into uh, battle, and uh, there's a squadron that Boomer is going to be leading, but it's going to be separate from Apollo and Starbuck. Starb and, and they're taking Baltar ship, which looks like a Cylon ship, but basically this is their way to infiltrate it. They figure there's going to be a way to get it internally, and we get hinted by this because we see something that we haven't seen in a lot of these episodes, or maybe in a few episodes that we've seen during the season. Uh, the Cylons are climbing a ladder. And oh, a hell of a, a hell of a set too, a hell of a ladder, yeah. Oh yeah, a lot, a lot of metallics, a lot of uh, reflections, a lot of mirrors. It's so, a, 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 it's almost an Andromeda strain kind of um yeah, kind space of, uh, kind of ladder. Or, or we we could say uh, Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. Oh yes, yes, yeah, but, that's a ladder too. Yeah. I'm trying to think of ladders that we can bring to people, but I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, step by step, rung by rung, they're climbing. Not exactly Jacob's ladder, but the Cylon <laughs> ladder, indeed. And there's like there's plenty of, uh, but at some point, you know, there is some action that takes place there. Now, before yes. these three guys go into battle, they have a different kind of Roman handshake that almost looks like a three-way version of thumb wrestling. So, <laughs> yeah. but still, it's unique to this particular show where they've got special things and special handshakes on that, and these guys have their three-way kind of situation to go into battle and. The, uh, there is a reference here called a you know an electronic Feigl garb. Yes, it is mentioned by Starbuck. Oh yes. Uh, and it does happen at one crucial moment where things are uh, basically going crazy, and they have this one communicator which unfortunately goes kaboom at a most unexpected time. So with the bunch infiltrating with the enemy ships. Now that's all they've got left, you know. So basically, you know, like this, like I said, there's some Star Trek references here, like three when they ended up with the Klingon ship um, at around Star Trek three, going into four. Uh, basically, they're having an, an they're basically taking over an enemy ship, as this one is as well. But the funny thing about it, is, out of all of this, is that with that communicator, we've got ourselves a little bit of a U five seventy one situation as well. Oh, basically, yeah. Yeah. Basically say, like, you know, everything is in this and everything's in that. And, and, you know, we can't go out while this battle is going on because if we do, we might get mistaken for our own kind. We don't have the communicator to distinct us. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, we're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place of sorts. Now, there's also something that they say, like, oh, how am I going to know if uh, any of you guys get lost? There's one reference when they say, like, oh, well, you know, you might want to waggle. In some way, and, <laughs> the waggle. That's kind of their hit now. We're gonna, we're gonna waggle. Happens. The battle happens. There's a lot of great laser action. I've ne we've never seen the starbase of uh, the Cylons actually shooting lasers out of its out of its big kind of uh, throughout the whole season. I mean, we've seen it happen with the Galactica, with the Vipers. Not so much this big thing with the Cylons here. We see it with the ships of theirs, but you know, never the mothership itself uh, yes. shooting off a little bit. But we do see it a little bit, kind of in a couple of different directions, kind of extending the John Dykstra um, uh, workmanship there. And basically they get to the point where, spoilers, uh, they succeed against these Cylons. But they're not sure whether our wonderful uh, heroes of our thing actually made it. But... They see a, a ship at one point come up, and they say, oh, I think we've got one more, and it's heading towards us. And Boomer goes, wait, nope, 
I know it's them. How do you know? They're waggling. Yes. And that is the way that they figure out that they've actually made it. It kind of goes a little more to But it's one of these ones episodes where we kind of get to that, what we love about this show is mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. we have a little bit of the sci-fi action. We have the intrigue, and we're learning a little bit more about the characters. And here we've actually got, you know, really have the stakes are put into play here on this last last uh, stand with the Cylons here. And they, and like I said, there's no greater leader as part of them. They're basically all on equal ground, but they're also getting destroyed almost the same way that, that we've seen them throughout the entire episode. There's also like, there's no like, well, there is a mention of light speed in one of these episodes here, but they never, you know, it never gets to ludicrous speed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> never. I think they, they go to light speed when they are uh, two episodes ago, I think the um, when they're um, uh, going after the um, uh, experiment Terra, they do the light speed. But here they're not, and that's fun. You're, you're absolutely right. The fun thing about this episode is that there's there's so much that goes on, and there are um, it's it's not quite Return of the Jedi where you have like the the Ewoks and a group of people attacking the stormtroopers, and then the people. On the Death Star, attacking, uh, shooting out with people, and then um, you know Luke uh, fighting Darth Vader and the Emperor. But it's a, I think it's as close as we get here. Mm. Not only we, that, but also I said we don't have, we don't have any ships sitting at the pipes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we get um, we get uh, we get I I don't know that that main uh, we get the main. Um, Cylon, and we haven't seen the Cylons for like six episodes. Many episodes. It's they, they basically. Well, yeah, we, we don't what know if they the rusted or if they just had to like remanufacture to kind of get the you know to get the shine on them. You know? Yes, exactly. I, I was going to look to see if I could I could find when the last time we saw them was, but it was um do 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 um fire fire in space, the one where they all ran their ships into the Galactica. Oh, yes. I think that was the last one. That was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like seven or eight episodes ago. So we haven't seen Silence for a while, and um, the the great things, <laughs> the great thing, I, one of the things I love about this is how huge their ship is, because um, you you have those moments where, um, well, <laughs> well, first off, you have that great moment where um, Teague and um, and Adama are using a model of the ship, mm. which is clearly the model that they use of the ship. Mm. And so it's like, yeah, that's huge. It's, let's take it off the mat and let's put it right into the ship. And <laughs> see like this, well, yeah, there's this this compartment and that compartment and everything else, and that's where the elevator is. Yes, and, and we go up from here to here, and it's great. And the, and when they're in the ship, when Starbuck and Apollo are in the ship, there's a moment where. Um, they don't use green screen. They just use a huge um, background where they're like creeping past some ships and they 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 work themselves over a wall. And behind them is just as clearly fake um, space. But um, if I were watching this on a TV in 1979, rather than on a 50-inch TV, high-def TV that I'm looking at it right now, I would have probably been pretty convinced that they were going from one space into another space. And you know what? I'm still convinced. 
Am yeah, I an, am I an idiot? I don't know, but I I I I I have the imagination to watch them do that. Yeah, and not only that, but here's the other thing too: is that this is the maybe now I got to think of this. Now, Glenn Larson, he developed yes. the Hardy Boys, correct? Yes, he did. He did. Hardy okay. Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries. Yeah, here's a, here's the funny thing about that is that there's a scene where they happen to go into this like special mechanical room, practically full of lights, and then they open it. There's this beautiful kind of like light reflecting off of them kind of background light okay. of sorts where it's like you know, the, the light is brighter in the background than they are with the darkness of the room and it lets mm -hmm. off this look that I think is frigging awesome you know but the thing is, is that I'm always reminded of I keep thinking the last time I saw a light reflected like that was uh, in two places mm -hmm. previous to that I had seen that at the very beginning of the Hardy Boys when it started when they would hold their the flashlights yeah. It's when they had that light that's kind of on them. There's just a way that it reflects that leads off this very nice visual effect that's not required from mats or anything else, but sure. just like natural light or like not the natural way of shooting it there that almost looks like it could be a special effect, but it isn't. But it gives off this vision that pretty, pretty much looks awesome. And then that kind of backlighting they use in this one scene where they're going into this other room where the Cylons, you know, they, they have to go to one door and the Cylons are coming in on the other. And they're oh, kind yes, of the yeah, yeah. But you kind of see that kind of reflection that's put in back of them. And then later on in the Larsenverse, we will see that in the very beginning of the Buck Rogers film, feature film, where oh. it's basically when, when we have that memorable credit sequence, which basically has that which we all love. fighting. That that's uh, that's used on uh, Gil Gerard and some of the lovely ladies. Yes. Uh, that featured uh, to to, to Aaron Gray and friends. Indeed, and uh, and um, you kind of see that same kind of lighting. Uh, oh wow! That, no, you, you, that, the opening titles there. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. No, that's. So it seems to be a common lighting pattern. <laughs> that's. Happen to go into to sci-fi. I and um, jeez. Now I want to watch some BJ and the Bear and see if he, <laughs> if he did light similar to that. But uh, 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 my, more of his future kind of future kind of or like I said, he started it with the Hardy Boys right mm -hmm. there, you know, and which I think would be you know that that whole run of that's another story altogether. But yeah. all I could say is that they, they never got to do the episode of uh, the the case of the. Uh, the phony shark, because it seemed like every time <laughs> to the beginning of that, it, they, it looked like, you know, oh, Frank's falling into the water, and it looks like a shark coming, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like they never did the, the case of the phony shark, you know, which is basically what we saw every time on the third season, but I digress, we get back to this. We, um... And, and basically, so basically, uh, funny thing, too, that I noticed, uh, they kind of come, come along on this on here, last episode, we kind of talked about how there was a design that was similar to the ship in the black hole. Yes. happened to be that year. Yes, well, is. and this one refers to another visual effects nominated film of that year that uh, something similar happens in this, this one. And I refer to Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh, sure, yeah. that's. And uh, it particularly deals deal with, with our uh, gamma transmissions that we have there. Well, you know, for any of those spoilers, if you haven't seen it, but uh, Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, is looking for this particular answer to this species, <laughs> and it turns out that the answer to the species happened to be uh, something left over from the space program out in outer space. And mm -hmm. basically here, we get a clue at the very, you know, when we think, ah, oh, you know, the 
the gamma signals are coming and somehow we're going to possibly because we were so victorious on our mission we may get medals guess what we had the guy in the last episode get a medal we couldn't get a ceremony for these guys once again we could be getting ceremony here we're sort of cheated on that with this ending but what we're left with is possibly the clue of we're getting closer and mm-hmm. the way that we're getting closer is uh, a little blip that gets clearer on the screen uh, of gamma transmissions of the moon landing. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yes. so from that point on, I say, like, well, you know, I I couldn't have guessed uh, that uh, this television show either foresaw two visual films that were nominated for Oscars that year for its effects, or. Uh, maybe just got that out of inspiration and said, hey, we see that Battlestar Galactica is doing this, why don't we bring that into our movie at this point? Oh, sure, yeah. It's like in the process of the post-production. <laughs> but, uh, and it ends off at that. And mm-hmm. so basically, we kind of get a clue of where we are in the ship and how we're getting to the gamma transmissions. We are getting closer. And not only that, but also I feel like, too, it's like, you feel like, okay, there's still some questions that need to be answered and some paths that need to be furthered. Yeah. And here we're kind of, you know, given that, you know, could you, you know, one, one could say like, well, could you imagine this not being 1980? And I'd say, well, you know, like I said, you know, they ended up for some reason canceling the show. Yeah. I, well, cause, you know, because, no, because it got too expensive mm-hmm. and it was just basically every episode that they were doing was kind of along the lines of a feature film. It's like a million dollars or more. Which is and, crazy for an hour long. Yeah, because ABC time. said we're on a on a wave in the world for these sci-fi with these space things. Good old Star Wars kind of made the push. It's like we got to have ours, but we got to get it out now. We got to get it's like, and sometimes when you rush things, the result can be half-assed. You know, basically, yes. unfortunately. Yes. And in a case like, and yeah, one show sadly suffered because of that later on in the '80s, and it was one of my favorite miniseries of all time. It truly is. But then when you got to the series. There was some promise, but you saw slowly but surely the fuel was starting to go, and it breaks my heart to say this, but it was a V. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. You you weren't a you weren't a fan of the V miniseries. I love the miniseries. I love the miniseries. The, the original, the final battle, and then we yeah, both of them. I, I thought it was like you know talk about like you know, another space epic, but they felt <laughs> hey, we're hey, every, everyone sit down. We're going to talk for about another two hours. Every, we're on a, no, the point is, is just basically we're on a wave. We got to get this out there. We see that there's a popularity. Sure. Let's do it. And instead of taking the time to kind of really like develop something effective, it was kind of becoming like you know we started to have a lot of these great characters on that carried over from the, the miniseries, and that's wonderful. But then they make the big mistake that you make in sci-fi and fantasy, which is sometimes you choose to to knock off the wrong people. And then when you end yeah. up doing that, then it's like, okay, we had this wonderful character that we got to know and all these now. They're not here with us. And where do we go from here? And you kind of put yourself into a corner. And it's like, okay. Yeah, and they're trying to do their best of whether they could bring something back or bring something new. Sure. And yeah. they try their best. And sometimes, you know, the, the result, you know, is trying to keep everything up. But at the same time, started to become kind of the soap opera in space. That yeah didn't really have any kind of growth but kills me because you know i adored what was already started in both the original ser- the miniseries and the final battle well, but- I, I was going to say that uh, v was done by kenneth johnson who did cliffhangers which was the first show we covered on adventure super train and he actually emailed me 
after yeah, I did he's that. A very communic- he, these he's, days, he's a very communicative guy. He's a very nice guy, and he's oh, a wonderful. He's he's directing now mainly, mm. but but he's a very wonderful writer. I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to actually sit with him for a couple of hours and just talk. Yeah, even and also to he woman. also brought the right. Incredible Hulk. Yes, the, about uh, Incredible Hulk. Do the, te- the television screens. Yeah. Yes, and he brought us the Bionic Woman. And he brought us, I believe, Alienation was another yes, one of his shows yes, too. Yes, Alienation. Yep, and he directed Short Circuit Two. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess they figured from the from the success of V, they figured, okay, let's bring you to a feature film. Isn't that let's... weird? Like, is that weird? Like, they they he wrote and directed V, mm. but he didn't do the final battle. I remember that because I was like twelve when that came out. And I remember being very little kid, very excited about it. And I remember when I didn't see his name on the final battle, I thought, well, I hope this will be okay. Well, also, I would say based on characters created by Ben Johnson. That was yes. probably like the closest that you would see that. I got to say this too, which is basically thinking about final battle. That had to have one of the best music scores I've heard in a television miniseries since yeah if I remember it yeah 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 because it's just one of those things where it's just just that you know when the thing starts it's like okay we went from sounding almost exactly like North by Northwest (laughs) to now something new on this one and now we went from I think it was from uh, Dennis McCarthy to Barry D. Verizon and Mm -hmm. who by the way for those of you who don't know he did the score to the Warriors He's also the guy who came up with the theme that became the theme to The Young and the Restless, which is Nadia's theme, which also was used for a, a Stanley Kramer film in the early 70s. Yes. Uh, and I... To be some children. And, you know, just not... But to kind of be a little bit on the subject or not on the subject, it seems <laughs> like a lot of these soap operas always had what I would consider to be a sci-fi icon. Mm. And... Because and, mm. and, I said, like, if you go back to, like, as far as back as One Life to Live, uh, it had... Roy Thinnis was on there at one point. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Who also shares a birthday with me. We're both April 6th. Hey! Uh, Roy, we Roy we, missed, we missed uh, his, we missed um, Christopher's birthday, everyone. Can we sing? Happy birthday. Ah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying? Well, Chris- Williams is on that day, too, but, but Roy Thinnis was on that. So, and with your Young and the Restless, I, well, I, and we mentioned on a previous episode, John Delancey. Oh. was on Days of Our Lives before he was on uh, Star Trek The Next Generation as Q. So the funny thing is about Young and the Restless, we do have a sci-fi icon, and his name is Eric Braden. And the funny thing of is why course. it's because uh, we have Colossus the Forbin Project, which is an incredible movie if you've never seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's, basic, it's basically, I would say, the precursor to war games, in a way. Using yes. a computer and Agreed. coming close to, possi- to a possible global uh, disaster. Of sorts, and unfortunately, we know him. Well, I wouldn't say unfortunately, but he's mentioned, and then finally seen uh, in the Escape from the Planet of the Apes. We we always hear about this Doctor Hustline through those first two movies, <laughs> and then we finally see him in the flesh in at that time present day Los Angeles. But we also start to notice that this Doctor happens to have uh, a little too inquirial about the future. And a little paranoid. Unfortunately, it happens to play a part into the conclusion of that film. But, as you can see, he's also in one of my... uh, Also, I guess we can kind of... I don't know if we can call it sci-fi, but maybe we could. Um, The 80s, he did a 
outrageous, insane, but adorable movie called The Ambulance. Oh, yeah, yeah. By Larry Cohen, the great Larry, Larry Cohen's Cohen. Larry Cohen's Ambulance, yes. And, uh, and Eric Braden has probably, uh, for the introduction of a character, which is almost feels like a monologue, <coughs> but who better to do it than Eric Braden with that very yes. rich voice of his. I mean, it's yeah. one of those scenes where sometimes when I think of a scene just to kind of <laughs> get you enthused of sorts, for some yeah. reason... His introduction of his character in the ambulance is one of those things where he's great. The back and forth between him and Janine Turner for five minutes. Oh yes, that's right. Janine Turner's Absolutely. in that. But, getting, but, but that's the thing is that with with these sci-fi shows, I, I'm not uh. sure if there's anybody that came from Battlestar Galactica that ended up doing soap operas afterwards or before. I'm sure. Well, well, then again, Richard Har Richard Hatch, he was doing quite a bit of um, the Quinn Martin stuff. Well, he was also a Canon guest star after all. You know, sure, of like course. Referred to as the many. Uh, but uh, I'm to think, I don't know if we ever got anybody on a soap opera that came from oh. Battlestar Galactica. I'm sure there might have been somebody. Maybe a guest star, but not so much a regular on the show. Yeah. But oh, as oh. we get to the as we get to the finishing there, it's just very intriguing to see where the paths go, even when you have a show that comes to a premature yet, you know, odd end. Not uh, yeah, premature, not quite. Quite, and yeah, we should, we why should... not the polished finish? We just say, well, we we've left some some ends loose. <laughs> yes, maybe exactly. Just make we might pick up those ropes on the Goodyear point. Yeah. It's is yeah exactly because I, I think the thing I like about this episode is I think Starbuck and Apollo do a pretty sweet job of getting on board the silent ship, doing the junk they have to do, which is a bit is not. It, it ain't like Indiana Jones running through the caves at the start of Raise the Lost Ark. But it's fun. Um, and they they go through some spaces where you see the, the backdrops behind them and they, they, they go down the ladder and they go in a really tiny room, thin room, and rip some stuff apart. And then they go back up the ladder and escape. And it's—I think it's fun. I think it's yeah, fun. They're uh, saying prep to fly because basically, you know, Star Wars did the same thing. It's like, oh, the fighters are all coming. Okay, let's get to our positions, and they use that ladder to get to the different yeah, sections of the Millennium Falcon to, to try to shoot it down. And I said, yeah. well, they get to the point where it's kind of like the reverse of that. We decided to make the climbing kind of similar to the tractor beam because we want to get the hell off this thing before this thing goes kaboom. Yes. So, yeah. And there's the there's the thing about the um, this little uh, um, t uh, transistor or whatever the heck they have that that will tell everyone that they're um, when the they're in a silent ship and they're running uh, uh, towards the Battlestar Galactica guys. And, and I feel like it's like a communicator that it's, almost it, doubles beep, beep, as beep, an explosive. Beep, 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 it's beep. like they drop it and it goes kaboom. You know, it's... And that's what it looks like. And they end up dropping it, unfortunately, it gets destroyed. And um, it's uh, we don't need any of that, what is it, any of that um, electric Felger garb. No, electronic Felger garb, yes. Yes, that's it. I think, that, I think there was a flak in there somewhere, too, at one point. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and they get home and they wiggle or they waggle or they do whatever the hell they do. And when the episode ends... There's that lovely moment, the Apollo 11 
lands on the moon, but they don't quite hear it. And so I I think that's the thing. The thing I love about this episode is that it's the final episode of the series, but it also feels like the final episode of a season that could have gone yeah. on forever. So I um geez, I don't know that I have much more to say. I mean, I love the fact that they spend a lot of time with Sheba and Cassiopeia and Starbuck and Apollo um, talking about how sad they are about going. And um, Boomer's in there somewhere. Jolly's probably in there somewhere. I forget now. But, um, and it's just, it's just a sweet... It, it's just... Donna Belisario, to me, is like... You know, the same... Like, if you watch something by Dick Wolf... Has Dick Wolf actually written anything? Yeah, I just see his name as creator on stuff. I've never seen his name uh, written. Uh, uh, he, I believe he wrote a movie. It was, I think, I, I covered a movie some years oh, ago. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Well, I was to say, Dick. To me, Dick Wolf is like he's pro police, and to me, Donald Belisario is pro military, mm. and that's fine. That's fine to me. You know, it's like. I there are people I love that are pro nothing, and I, um, I, I maybe I'm one of them, um, but uh, but Donald Belisario here directing and writing this episode, I think does a really beautiful job of. <sighs> it's a final episode, but it's also it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be a final episode. It feels like it's supposed to be more. So I really enjoy this episode. I'm not going to gab more about it. Uh, what I'm going to do, Chris, is I'm going to ask you uh, if you have anything else. And then I'd like to ask you just what you thought about the series in general, because we're at the end of it. Mm. So yeah, so please, um, sure. one and two, and I'm going to sit back. I can't sit back. Okay. I'm in a chair that's uncomfortable. But I'm going to sit up. I'm going to sit up. Oh, God. So you tell me, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. Here's the thing. Uh, I think this was a solid end to what was going to be hopeful an ongoing series. And um, it was like half of saying, like, yeah, I can't wait to see what's going to come up in season two. Because, like I said, you're left off practically with kind of a cliffhanger when you yeah. see that, that signal coming from the gamma uh, transmissions. And you're saying, like I said, you know, we're getting closer. That's just showing in the moon landing. And it's like, wow. They're getting closer to Earth. This might happen, but we never got that. But here's the thing: is that what they have all the way in total, in general, all the way is the show goes through its up and downs. It, it does go multi-genre in that case because they've tried different things like that: the Western episode, they've had the possible backdoor pilot episode, they've had the Angel episode. There's some that the action is more than, than usual. Sometimes we see. Uh, the uh, Baltar kind of giving the commands or, or not you know they, they try to not put themselves too similarly even though there's some episodes that do repeat itself hey somewhere, somewhere along the line Brett Summers was looking to romance Lauren Green that to me was one interesting thing sadly enough we didn't get Jack Klugman to join the the series of, uh, of this I guess he had his differences with Glenn Larson and you know unfortunately he was kind of probably on the uh, forever Klugman uh, anger list, but that's a whole other story. Sequence Quincy related, yeah, right. Yeah, but at the same time, I said what they had together with everything in there is they had 
definitely a blueprint for a show that could have gone on, but because of budgetary reasons and because um, just got to be a little too big uh, for keeping it to be a regular series and keeping it on there because God knows they had so many hits on ABC at that time that uh, they didn't want to break the bank as you know a couple of studios did at that time later on with certain movies. But um, what they had right there in its of, of the amount of episodes that they had, most of which happened to be really good, really fun, um, caught our, our heroes in certain situations and advanced them in that. You had some wonderful guest stars that were on there. Uh, and interesting, because I found out today with the an episode that we had uh, covered, which was the Lloyd Bridges episode, uh, that was originally going to be Richard Crenna. Oh, wow. Yeah, which I, I, I keep wow. in mind, too. Richard, Richard Crenna was kind of doing a whole bunch of TV movies at that time. I mean, he was doing the remake of Double Indemnity. He does a great one from the early 70s called Thief, uh, which if you've never seen it, it's 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 quite, it's him and Angie Dickinson. It's, it's quite oh. good. Not, nothing related to the James Caan movie that would be <laughs> there. But uh, to, to use a little bit of the Crenna charm, and also, of course, he was in Devil Dog, which would... Uh, uh, almost which we all cool. love. Right. Which we all it's 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 universally beloved, yes. <laughs> as well as Richard Crenna is as well. Of course. Uh, and um it I, I guess he got caught up with something else and uh Lloyd Bridges ended up with the job on that one. It always kinda makes me wonder because that's about a military person. And now what was interesting to that and I wonder if this factored into how he would end up taking the role of Troutman later, is that he had that opportunity to be a high military officials someplace didn't get that opportunity on what was basically a show growing in popularity and then he gets this opportunity because uh, Kirk Douglas disagreed with the script of First Blood and says well look either you change it to this thing or I'm walking and basically well we have the script and we ain't changing it so hey yes or no ends up being no turns out one of the people one of the uh, either writers or producers of it that played a lot of tennis and on that tennis court happened to be Richard Crenna. Crenna, they said, hey, we got a role that we're trying to fill here and I know we put advertising for this other guy that we're having in the movie, which was Kirk Douglas's, but you know, maybe you'd be a worthy replacement and the rest is history. He ends up as Colonel Troutman, ends up in that military position that he could have had on Battlestar Galactica, ended up putting it into the 80s with Sylvester Stallone, ends up in three movies with it and... Uh, the rest is history right there. But, like I said, different wow. different uh, uh, guest stars. You had Fred Astaire, mm-hmm. who I thought was wonderful, practically yes. a chameleon, as he was there. And also, like I said, most of these people that guested on there had an opening that they might come back. And even mm-hmm. Patrick McNee gave hints of, yeah, on one hand, he could be the devil, but at the same time, could he be the DNA link to a little imperious leader who happened to have mm-hmm. a similar voice than he did, you know, so... A lot of these different things, but they made very good use of its guest stars. They had very interesting scenarios. They had different um, handshakes and uh, different uh, ways of uh, going about that other shows weren't. And they 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 wanted at a grand score, by the way, by the wonderful oh. Sue Phillips. Uh, gorgeous. The the music is gorgeous. Um, I mean, to imagine this thing on Blu-ray and just kicking up the volume. Yeah. It has to sound so kicking in a sound system. It sounds good. And it just, oh, it just make sure you keep all the lights off. You have, <laughs> you have those I, I, every channel yeah. booming. No pun intended to boomer, but booming. Boomer, and, you're uh, the best. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it turned out to be, like I said, you know, what could have been like a, oh, I liked it at the time, but now 
Eh, no, it turned out to be a very fun experience. It's a lot of fun episodes. Uh, it's great to cover this with you on there because I, I think to me that uh, with a lot of the recollections that we have of this, you know, we ha certainly had a tremendous element of fun out of this, which is very important, and uh, which is also what the show was. The show was all about fun. There's some shows that didn't have as much as some others. I, some episodes of that, but at the same time, I said whatever they were going through in the seventies and how they were trying to keep on what they were trying to keep on, which is a show that, like I said, the popularity grew very fast. But the problem is, so was the money from ABC, despite the fact yes. that they had a lot of hits at that time. And then by the yes, end of it, yes. they said, "Well, we got to cancel this because we fi we figured the money. If we have to do this again, we're going to really not have a budget for everything else, and it's going to become the Battlestar Galactica channel practically." And yeah. that that was and I tell you, it kind of took a while before they they would end up back into the sci-fi genre. I mean, they had a couple of short-lived shows around that time, like maybe The Phoenix was one, and um, a couple of others that oh, might yes, have been yeah. sci-fi re related, you know, but not exactly up to the epic kind of uh, yeah. uh, amount as Battlestar Galactica. There were, I don't think there's anything like this. Yeah. No. Not at all. And not only that, the fact that it only went one season. Everybody always says, I can't believe the show was one season. I said, well, you know, look into your history. And, you know, it wasn't the show's fault. It was more, no. was, you know. It was uh, the budget. You know, it was the money and the, yeah. And some things don't always last the way that they do. And, you know, but, I mean, they had a lot of high ratings for other shows. And a lot of the shows turned out to be a lot of comedies, you know, like <laughs> The Love Boat and Happy Days. And, yeah. like, Gary Marshall was just riding on a wave with anything that he put out there. For, for many years. Yeah, 70, 78, 79 was Laura, uh, Laurel and Hardy. La Laverne and Shirley. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, happy Days. Three's Company was up there. Mork and Mindy. Yeah. Soap, which by the so, way, yeah, the anniversary to, uh, as we're recording, the day that we're recording this happens to be the same day that, well, think of it, two shows that started on this date, huge, uh, but some years apart. September 13th. Files, which we spoke about, and Soap. But I will just, um, I just take a minute tell you what I thought about the show, Battlestar Galactica. Um, actually, a lot of what, a lot of what Christopher said, I, I agree with. Um, I, it, it's a weird show to me because the first three or four times I watched it all the way through, I watched it on like Netflix um, as I was doing other work, as I was doing my work, I was doing transcription. So I had it playing, and I had the I had the stereo turn up loud, and I had uh, subtitles on, so I didn't have to really pay much attention. And I really enjoyed the heck out of it. But watching it very closely, I applaud the way that Glennie Larson and Donald Belisario built the world up near the end of it. The first half is very um, uh, based in um, the Cylons. But they disappear about halfway through the show. And about halfway through the show becomes about looking for Terra, looking for Earth, looking for those places. And there's that, that, yeah, that wonderful moment in um, Experiment Terra where um, Star, uh, I'm sorry, Apollo... I never get the names of these people right in these shows. I don't know, like, even after 39 episodes of Bourbon Street Beat, I still got the names of the two main characters wrong. 
But in the moment in Experiment in Terror, at the end of it, when Apollo turns to John and says, Is this Earth? And there's a long pause. And John says, No. But you're close. It, it, that might not be the exact... That might not, that might not be... Pause. That might not be the exact words he says. But that's close to what he says and you realize the show has this the show has a mission to it that shows didn't have in 1978 1979 they didn't i mean go back to go back to that time shows didn't have this and so when the series ends with this episode and you get the apollo 11 moon landing it's so good and so I, I think, <laughs> I would have loved if the show had another season. But the show does have another season. But it's kind of a different show. And Chris and I will be talking about that show, but not today, not tomorrow. Maybe in a few months, maybe in a year. But. Battlestar Galactica overall is, I think, a worthwhile show. It's a fun show to watch. I, I don't enjoy it as much as Ellery Queen or Search. Um, because I think those shows are nigh on perfect for the seasons. But I think for a sci-fi show ripping off a major movie, this is pretty damn good. Although I think the first season of BJ and the Bear is better than this. And that's Glenn A. Larson. And that aired at the same time that this did. But I like it. I like it a lot. So I'm going to sit down with Adama by his big star. What the hell is it called? That The, the star commander thing. The Cylons. Oh, i got to move myself a little bit. The base star? The base, that big thing. I'm going to sit down by it right now. And I'm going to talk to my good friend, Baltar, a.k.a. Christopher Bly. And thank you so much for joining me on this. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's just, it's been, it's been an absolute kick. It's been <laughs> so, loads of fun. And uh, like I said, you know, when we get around to a year 1980 oh. down the line in the future, I said, uh, be happy to, to hop on that saddle again. We, we will do that. We will do that. So, folks, we're going off of the Battlestar Galactica. And I guess at the end of this episode, Baltar goes free, right? Or there's, there's a deal that's made, but we don't yes. know. Like I said, there's, it's, it's led on a handshake. We know because he's if he's free, that means you know they they return him back to the silence. They never did that. But here's the thing that you just pointed out there that I'm going to throw there. Think of it. The last thing you see is the Apollo moon landing, and who was looking at that screen mostly? Apollo. So it's Apo Apollo on Apollo. Well, yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like Starbuck <laughs> is a name taken from Moby Dick, which is. A Herman Melville novel that I adore, and Apollo is taken from Apollo, the Apollo, so the Apollo moon landing. So, gosh, I and, would. And I, Starbucks became a coffee. So, what? How are you? Where are you online? Where can we find you? 
Well, where you can find me is uh, you can find me facebook.com slash Captain Bly, uh, where you find me and my activities uh, throughout um, the area, the world, what's going on in <laughs> life, uh, according to my view or what I care to put on it. And then um, I also have a thing called First View, which happens yeah. to be uh, catching a movie a day, writing about it and posting it up, uh, all of which the movies I am seeing fully for the very first time. Not bitten pieces, but, you know, beginning to end all the way through and my thoughts on it. And um, you keep track of there, probably the best, but also in other areas such as Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Letterboxd, you can find me on Cap uh, under the name Captain Bly 76, all one word. Uh, and you can see some other forms of life as well as, well as a link to uh, the reviews that you can catch that you don't happen to see on Facebook. You get it someplace else uh, where you don't have to rely on that. But it's nice to be in all four corners of that social media perspective right there. And um, that's basically the deal. And then um, just enjoying life and getting on to the next chapter that's going to be refreshing, that's going to be wonderful, and uh, keeping things positive in a world that uh, could be tentative, but you try to make the best kind of plus, <laughs> plus spin on it.